Hi, this is Aaron Cooter, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. And before you do that, go read Ghost Rider. And then come back and listen to 11 O'Clock Comics. Thank you. That time again. Oh, man, I need this. Who doesn't? You know, I hope you're right. Meaning, I think you're right. I, I do hope that uh, we are a small ray of sunshine in a very cloudy moment. Yeah, I know I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You've got this ray of sunshine tattoo on your ass. So and I'm so humble about it, too. Keep it on the down low. Yeah. Solid, right. solid. You're all about the down low. No. I don't think that think it means. I feel, I feel like, God, there needs to be somebody that realizes and recognizes what's going on and like says okay yes everything is pretty bad but you need to you need to uplift you need to give somebody the giggles now and then i mean if only to just take their mind off stuff for a minute yes it doesn't cure anything or solve anything but in that minute man i want to make you feel good you guys and everyone uh, but you too, especially because you know, like we we're all we're just one big happy disjointed family on the on the twister board, and David has the red circle again, which pisses me off. Do I? Yes, you always get that red circle. It's mine. That that makes because I want to I want to squash it, and step on it, and crush it. Hmm. I started early. Nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I figured. Let's be happy. Don't worry, be happy. And we want you, yes, you, our loving listeners, to be happy because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 692, book of the month. Yeah, and I'm Vince B. You are Vince B, and I am David A. Price. I can vouch for that, and I am Cullen Sangerai. (laughs) See, now I was pronouncing it in my head, Sangaree. So was I. And I was trying to remember when, when Jason and I were talking to Sanford when he came on the show to to, to pimp it, um, how he, if he uh, pronounced their names and, and it didn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't clicking. So yeah, I was, I was saying Sangaree. Because you think of. I'm just looking at how it's spelled. You think of the vino and the blood, you know, like whatever. But and no, you're not, Jason. You are, of course. But are you, (laughs) are you, are you Cullen before or after the void? Oh, post. Okay, all right. I knew it. I knew it. I just had to hear you say it. Player, six three. I got strength. I'm not pre Cullen. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, if I had my druthers, I would. I would rather be Berg. Than Colin, but that's just well. Yeah, I know, but Berg I, is I our know that Berg's vocabulary. Time out. Berg is our man, Sanford. Yeah. Number one and number two. I thought it'd be cliche of me to say I'm the guy with the big vocabulary because you guys are always making fun of me using big words. So I thought that was a little that's too long. No, that that's would not. seriously unheard of. That would be appropriate. Why the hell would you want to be that? Let's be me and come out of left field and be something that doesn't fit. This comic had me when they used the word lugubrious. <laughs> yeah, I love lugubrious. Holy <laughs> shit. I was like, dude. That's one of my this favorite all words. Blank pages from here on out. This it's a good one. But no, you are not Cullen Berg. Uh, Cullen. <laughs> 
You're not Cullen. You are Jason Wood, everybody. Here wow. together for our massive Book of the Month episode featuring Bitter Root, Volume 1, Family Business by David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Sanford Green, and Rico Renzi. Yes, sir. But before we tiptoe into that, we just got to remind you yet again that if you want to get your books getting fast and delivered right to your door for a pittance, a mere fraction of what everybody else is paying, go to Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com has everything in that massive hunk of hunk of burning previews catalog, and it's all heavily, massively, lugubriously discounted, <laughs> and you can have it for a song. That's it, because the list of specials has pretty much expired. If you didn't order them by now, you might as well just wait till this previews comes out and then start fresh, because once you're in, you're hooked. You're, you're done. You will be ordering from Discount Comic Book Service till the end of time, because you take a look around, survey the landscape. Oh, how much do you get at your, your comic shop? 20% off? <laughs> you're giggling. You're laughing inside, because you know you get 40 to 50 and even more percent off at Discount Comic Book Service. Only one place to go. DCBService.com. Indeed. They're the fresh Well, anchor. I missed you guys this week. It was a long-ass week for a lot of people, man. And uh, much love to you boys for being here to chat about some good-ass comics, too. Seriously. Some good-ass comics. But in honor of that, I say we keep the, the, the drink roll call going because I got drinks. Oh. Wow. Know, what a surprise. Yeah, I know. I know. I am drinking um, from Allagash Brewery in Portland, Maine. I'm drinking black. It's just called Allagash Black. It is a stout, as you might imagine, being called black. Oh, very nice. Yes. It's not, it's not too warm for that? I'm just, no, I'm, just, I'm not trying Bruh, to, I, it's, nah, I mean, I, I know, I know you're a Scot and, and there's, you know, it's, it's yeah. a stout, so, but I, I, I tend to associate the, the thicker, the darker, the, the, the stouts with the cooler climb and, and, um. Getting up in the eighties, I, I wasn't sure if, if nah, the stout sits right. Nah. But nope, nope. I'm about the the ales, the porters, the stouts, pretty much all year round. Ales, I'm good with. Yeah, I, I know you're not much of a stout man. It's okay. You're, no, you're, yeah, you're dainty true. fella. It's all right. I am. You know, I don't. I, I try not to. I if I'm going to do bitter, I'd rather you know it be something I'm going to enjoy. So maybe a little rose water seltzer, with a little. No, I'm not the one with little, the white little, club, bro. Right? Little mez, little mezcal mixed in. <laughs> Oh, now we're talking. How about a lot of mezcal? <laughs> what are you drinking, Vince? Uh, Sam Adams, Oktoberfest. Oh, okay. It's my go-to um, at this that? time. So is that does, is that just left over, or is it back? No, it's out now. Yeah. No. Yeah. Less <laughs> <laughs> over. Is it out now? It's, it's fucking it, August. We're not even in September it's yet. It's skunkier than Pepe Le Pew. Halloween candy. So. Oh yeah, and yeah, I bought they started some. Started on that. I think they started earlier. In the last year or two, because they're trying to get a jump on it, um, so I never go by. Because I mean, before Halloween is even close to being the day, they they already have the Thanksgiving shit out. No, so no, I don't go by that anymore. I bought the candy corns already. That kind that are in addition to the regular teethy or tooth like candy corn. The corn kernels is what I'm trying to say. The ones with the little tiny pumpkins in there, the meaty ass pumpkins. Ah. And of course, walking by. Oh my God, they're the worst candy ever, the pumpkins. To stop. They're the best thing on this planet. Dude, it's just pure, like, 
fondant. It's like uh, okay, uh, no, they're glorious. And as we were walking by, Mean goes, "Oh, look, Brock's uh, candy corn." And I had to say it like Hetfield <laughs> because that's what you do, Brock's. <laughs> and they <laughs> they leapt right into my basket. How many bags did you get? Three. <laughs> Three pounds, my man. Yep. Once and I piece him. Or no, he, nobody else in the house likes him. I piece him out. I take the the pumpkins. I, I open them all up into a giant container. I take all the pumpkins out, and then I savor the pumpkins because there's the ratio of pumpkins to, to actual kernels. There's far less pumpkins. So what I do is I I piece them out, and then I will eat the candy corn. And then every once in a while, I go and I take two pumpkins Oof. as a little treat. Nice. I gave my wife two two pumpkins last night for anniversary. So. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You're an athlete. <laughs> He's the same both over here. Seriously, <laughs> Dap, what are you drinking? I am. Um, I after this glass is done, um, which is filled with uh, Josh Legacy Red Blend. Um, I have, and this is funny because I haven't bought a bottle of of this. Um vintner in a long while um but i saw the label and i had to try it and it is it's a california red it is really good it's not sweet or anything but even better my wife likes it so i definitely have to have it in the house now but and this is shout out to our boy cliff because jason's gonna snicker this is cali red from 19 crimes by snoop dogg Oh, oh no. I heard that's good. Yeah. <laughs> From who? Snoop Dogg. It I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny as hell. My man my man not only knows weed, but I guess he knows a little bit about the grape too. It is. It's 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 a red wine from California. Um it's uh, Nineteen Crimes tells the true story of rule breakers who beat the odds, overcome adversity, and went on to become folk heroes in their society. This spirit lives on today through innovators and culture creators like Hallie's own Snoop Dogg. A leader in contemporary pop culture, Snoop embodies the timeless values of the 19 crimes rogues who came before him. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I saw the label and I was like, all right. And, and, uh, and our boy Flippa, actually he, he had a bottle and then that night when I was walking the dog and I had to stop in and get some wine, I saw the, um, I saw the bottle and I didn't, I didn't buy it that night, but after he said he tried it, I was like, all right, what the fuck? I'll go for it. And then, yeah. And, and my wife likes it too. So, but yeah, it's, it's cause it's been, it's been a while since I had any 19 crimes and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's an expensive fuck and, and it's not, I mean, it's, it's better than ripple, but this is, this is probably one of the, I'd say it's probably the best bottle that the company puts out. Nice. I got to try that now. Because you said Snoop Dogg, and my interest is peaked. Right, yeah, yeah. Because I do, I, I do like Snoop Dogg a lot. Right. I much and respect it, for him. It just, it, it, it threw me because, you know, 19 is, is, they're from Australia. That's their whole thing. And, and right. to see, to see Snoop on it, and then it's a California red, I'm like, well, I, I have good, good for you for branching out, but. He's cross-cultural. He appeals to everybody. Yes, he does. At least he should. I'm sad that there's, you know, it doesn't doesn't tell you like, you know, any any kind of cush pairings or anything on the bottle, but sorry. Yeah. You can email him, he'll probably tell you. Probably would. Or Martha'll do it. That's true. Yeah. She's lonely. 
<laughs> All right, everybody. What Justin would think if you were like, "Oh, I'm drinking at Milwaukee's best." <laughs> I don't understand the reference. What do you? They're they're beer snobs. Oh well, I, I, I kind of knew that, but yeah, they're they they're are. knowledgeable. I didn't know they were snobs, but that oh, may be you putting a spin oh, yeah, on no, it. No, no, they. Oh yeah. no, no, they would admit it. They're they're beer snobs. They are. Yeah, yeah. If you if if you tell them something that you know you're drinking, and I go, oh, that's good. I remember my first beer. It's it's they're always they're always there to tell you um, that that's all good and all. But if you really want yep. to, uh, I was down in yeah, I was down in North Carolina, so I thought, oh, I'm gonna show them the the local beers I'm buying. And you know, the first few they're like, oh, cool, yeah, respect it like that, yeah, it's good. Then I showed them one, they were like, it was like it was like a roast the rest of the night. Oh my god! Remember that time we had this the worst beer I ever had in my life. Oh my god! Yeah, that led to my divorce. Oh, like I was like, dude, it's like it's it's not like, it's fine. It's not, I'm not saying it's the best beer ever. Like, nah, dude, that's cool, man. Like, come our state by the shittiest beer ever. That's great. Yeah. But you know, don't you need someone like that in your life? Yeah, definitely. That's what I'm trying. I'm trying to do that for you guys with the wine. Oh, well, oh please. <laughs> yeah, much respect. Listen, no, I, I, I rock with Snoop hard, but <laughs> I guess. Wine, wine, wine shouldn't have a marketing like wine shouldn't have a celebrity tie-in. Like <laughs> no, but it's also but, but we we like with comics and we we say this about everything. You know, it, it's it's you you end up enjoying what you like. We all have our vices. We all have the thing, like Vince with the candy, me with the candy corn, but Vince with the pumpkins and I like you a differentiate. Vince is the pumpkin guy. I'm just a regular candy corn guy. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, because I don't. I, mean, I don't I I wouldn't buy a bag of pumpkins because they would just they would sit forever. I'd only have a couple. I, I don't because they're the too pumpkins. good. That's why. That's it's, it's like not. overdosing on joy when you eat one of them pumpkins. No. Are you guys pumpkins. pro or anti peep? I like peeps. I don't mind peeps. Yeah. Not a fan I, don't, of I don't go out of my way to grab them, but yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't I There's don't a tipping them. point with the peep, though. Like you can't buy the sixteen pack. You got to buy the the big pack that are segmented into four pack sections within the bigger pack. Because if you open a pack of Peeps and you don't eat them within like eight hours, then they're all friggin' hard and shit. And Peeps uh-huh. got to be nice and spongy and soft. Yeah, yeah I figure we'll for it. Oh boy. No, I don't like marshmallow. It's I'm not a marshmallow. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I would add. I mean, I mean, as much as I give you grief on the candy corn, like I think candy corn is actually reasonably tasty. I just feel like it's uh, one note, so I don't like. We never have it in the house, but I wouldn't like if I was at your house. I'd eat a couple candy corns, it's, but the peeps, nah, I can't do the peeps, man. I yeah, I could that. understand the 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 grit from the the sugar and the yeah. the smooth uh, pillowy softness of the marshmallow. It's it's very it's contrasting. You can't think about it. Don't, don't no, think you don't. About it when you're it. Just oh. it's like it, it's like having a Jelly Belly um, popcorn jelly bean. It's like. You're, it tastes, of course, just like popcorn, but the texture, the, the fact that it's a jelly bean, and you're now, chewing on that. But yeah, mm-hmm. now see, they uh, taste it, like it, vomit you know to me. Tella, you know what Tella overrated? Uh, saltwater taffy. I don't know. I like saltwater taffy. No, again, it's fine. Like every time we go on vacation, the kids want to get the taffy, and that's fine. And I'll have a piece when we first open the box, and it's fine. Like it's, it is, it is. It tastes okay. But it just doesn't have longevity, I don't think. Mm, oh, you must be eating the wrong kind. Because do you, you like blueberry? Love, dude. I, last night at our anniversary dinner, we had blueberry upside down cake for dessert. Well, did you ever have blueberry saltwater taffy, like or blueberry and or raspberry the go tos? 
Well, like, I hate I, raspberry flavor in general, so uh, I wouldn't be getting that. But yeah, I'm, I'm down with the blueberry rasp- uh, blueberry taffy. Sure, why not? All right, all right. You know How about what? Cadbury Cadbury cream eggs. Not the big ones. That's no, no, the big ones are death. I can't eat them. Big ones like there's more yeah, there's size? there's little ones that are just chocolate with a candy shell. Then the big ones oh, are pure no, chocolate. Talking about, I'm talking about the big ones with the fake egg in it. Yeah, no, I don't like those. Oh, I'm all about that. No, all ne- about it. My Nina loves them. Bite it open, and then you you lick it, and it's like you're licking treasure, if you know what I'm saying. It's last night all over again. All right, come on. Let's let's do the comics. That's why we're here. Oh, okay. It suddenly it got too pure all for you? A little bit. A little bit. Mm. Okay, now, my... my, my, my my dainty flower. <laughs> so to iter- reiterate, not to iterate, reiterate, it is Bitterroot Family Business, uh, which is the first volume in the new, uh, relatively new ongoing series by David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Sanford Green, and Rico Renzi. Yes. Jason, do you have any preliminaries you'd like to cover before we go in on this? Well, um, as a reminder, I'm sure most people listening know this, but the list this month was a list of Eisner uh, mostly winners and one or two other nominees from this past year's Eisner Awards. And it was cool that you all picked this one because this was one of the big winners. It won uh, Bitterroot won for Best Continuing Series. So it's uh, it's not the first time we've talked about a book that's won that because uh, Monstrous was in the same category. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so. Hot take. This is definitely. Hmm? Uh, big old hot take from me. I don't usually do hot takes. Bitterroot is far better than Monstrous. Oh wow! See now that's that's an unnecessary. You're require you're requiring me to equivocate. I love Monstrous as well. I think they're very different books. So I of course I'm not going to like co-sign with that in the sense that I really like as you know because we talked when we did the book of the month. I ended up reading all four volumes that were out of Monstrous after we did the book of the month. So I liked it so much. So I'm, I know this. I'm a fan of that too. But uh, well, but, I mean I, I love Bitterroot. I think it's great. Well, saying that. I feel Bitterroot's better is not discounting that's, that's true. That's whole true. cloth, Monstrous. I think Monstrous is very good, but for my entertainment value and uh, uh, aesthetic immersion in this book, uh, I think conceptually Bitterroot has it all over Monstrous. Okay. Yeah. But I do have some reservations about the book, and we'll talk sure. about it at the end. So I normally ask us to recount when we first experienced the work because often these are older books that we're talking about but i mean this book uh finished up this volume finished up in mid 2019 so uh as you all know i read this as it was coming out i'm still reading it as it's coming out issue nine just came out um but i don't recall if i i know i think pretty sure dap at least tried the first issue i think you did too but did you both finish this volume prior to this assignment no, I, I I was with it for the first few issues, um, and I still was. I was buying the issues. It, it just got ended up getting stacked mm-hmm. with with everything else as they come in. Um, so I was finally able to um, sit down and and read the first five, read read, read what contains the first volume, and uh, and again, it's 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 like when Jeff was talking about Family Tree. It's like why why do I not? Why do some things just either? Like out of sight, out of mind. I I can't see things that are in the middle of some of these piles, and it it's the service to me, it's the service to the listeners, it's the service to the creators. So I I just I need to be better when it when the stuff comes in and and just organize my shit and and jump on it as soon as uh, soon as I can. So I'm I'm sorry I I dragged my feet on this, um, but 
it it was still it, it slapped me in the face. It's 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 a great volume. Mm-hmm. You too, Vince. Same. Ooh. No, I only read the first issue. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah I read read that first one, and I, I I very much enjoyed it. And I said, okay, um, this is not something I want to read issue by issue. I want to read it in chunks. It's the pre- preferred format for me. I would much mm-hmm. rather read uh, a bulk um, download of something, and I mean download into my brain, not into my computer, um, because it just uh, well, getting up there in age, you know, sometimes the the details they kind of fade uh, from month to month, and uh, experiencing a bunch of it at once eliminates that, you know. So yes, and and uh, I did buy the trade. Uh, I hadn't read it until now. Beautiful. So here we are. Yes, and uh, what um, high level thoughts? I mean, what did would it's pretty clear we all enjoyed it to some level based on our conversation so far. But but uh, you enjoyed it very much, but. how do I put this uh, without showing my entire hand? Ah. Uh, I think the conceptual hook uh, inherent to the narrative is both its saving grace and its biggest damning factor. Interesting. I'm not even sure I know what you mean. So you didn't. I don't think you blew your load. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it at the end. Yeah, all right. Uh, unless you want to talk about it now. I mean, no, because no. no, I think it's it, it's it, uh, I think it's a worthwhile conversation. It it all has to do with the Janu. Mhm. And the people um human beings are inhabited by this Janu uh because of things they've done, uh actions they've taken and they become corrupted by these Janu and it makes them do uh, horrible things. And the Sangarees remove the Janu. They're the only ones that can do it effectively, right? And um it's the the conceptual hook is that there the the uh injustices perpetrated on the black community is inherently, I believe, evil and we'll go, we can talk about that word too it, not evil in a traditional sense but in in a in a crime against humanity sense i believe it's 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 what we could call evil right mm-hmm. to suggest that these actions are the product of something that possesses a person and and yes conceptually i get it they're possessed by a hatred they're possessed by a desire to eliminate the things that aren't them or the things that are different from them. They're, they're afraid this person does not have the same color skin that I do. Therefore, they must be bad. Let's, let's ridicule them and denigrate them and cast them into roles in society far below us just to keep them in line because we don't want these people ever rising up because then we're going to have a freaking problem. So let's squash them down. We, we don't like these people. I get it that, that th- those are feelings that in a conceptual sense, could possess a person for their entire lives. And generations of people are possessed by these feelings. But to suggest that 
it's this outside entity, the Janu, that inhabits these people, causing them to do these things, I think does a disservice to the whole concept of uh, systemic racism. Oh, it, okay. I, I mean, I know what you're saying, but I would counter to, with, I don't think that's what they're saying. Because, cause again, like, they're, they're, like, even with the, and I know we're jumping around, but, like, the KKK scene, um, those 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 people were full of hate and then were, then were turned into Janus. It's it. I take it to mean, and I guess it'd be nice if we had uh, Sanford back on the show again for the third time. We'll have to try that. But I took it to be much like with like demonic possession tropes in, in storytelling um, people that have hate in their heart uh, or xenophobia or racism are just easier are the vessels with which the Janus can possess. Sure. It's they not, open themselves the, up to it. Right. The yeah. Janus don't make them hate filled their hate makes them a vessel for the Janu is how I take it. Well, I, I, and I think that the, the concept of something inhabiting the bodies of someone who has opened themselves up to hate is, is a very, is conceptually rich. The, the, the symbolism, it, it, just, you can layer it as many times as, uh, go deep as, as far as you want. And I think it works, but I just like, okay. So, um, the, the, I thought the KKK, the clan rally uh, lynching scene was especially telling where you got a bunch of guys and one of them uh who uh, according to him didn't really know why he was there which i find a whole lot hard to believe but anyway um the these clan members have opened themselves up to the janu because when when uh our buddy ford enters the picture and, and does his little uh blam blam they they all turn into these these creatures and, and before they expire and i and i thought okay they're 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 creatures before <laughs> i mean clan the clan members they're 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 despicable creatures to begin with do you need to add another layer of of um a supernatural layer to the mix to make it more palatable or more um uh, relatable to the the average reader i i don't know i like it on one hand but i think it does a disservice to the 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 struggle on the other hand i'm not saying it's bad but i i, I obviously haven't come to a conclusion whether i i think it's uh, who cares what i think but uh there's there's i haven't decided whether i think it was the absolute best way to approach it hmm Obviously, they're getting attention. Obviously, people are loving this. So the, the the joke may be on me, but I just I I don't think it's something that you can trivialize by, by using outside paranormal entities to to help relate the message. I mean, it's bad enough as it is, right? But then I think, well, okay, if this if the paranormal element was taken out of this, would it have been so compelling? Ah, probably not, right? So, at least in a narrative sense, I mean, despicable deeds are despicable deeds, right? I, I, I don't know, David. What do you think? I mean, I just, I, I, I like, obviously, me being the horror guy. I liked the Janu. I thought they're visually they're arresting. I thought Sanford did an incredible job of of rendering the beasts and all. Um, and then when you get into the uh, Izondo, wow, like knocked it out of the park visually it's a stunning book it probably wouldn't have been all that visually electrifying if it was just regular flesh and blood human beings like okay here's a 
here's a guy attacking another guy. So I get it, right? You got to sell it. You got to bring it on home. Convin- I don't know. I, I I hear what you're saying about we don't need to make the ugly already uglier. If anything, someone could read that and say that it's almost giving them an out because you know clans don't really clan members don't don't really hate people of color. It's it's the demon inside them, and and that's. I mean, yeah, there is something inside them, but it's it's them. But the um, in this setting to set up the the premise, I didn't have a problem with because um, whether they were possessed, I want to say, um, or they just it, it was it wasn't. It, he couldn't have just been a dude down in Mississippi killing clan members. He was there to, he's, he's there to hunt Janu and, and everything is, it's, it's convenient that they're able to, two birds, one stone. Um, and I really wasn't so much focused on, the stuff down south because I was more concerned. I was more into everything that was happening in Harlem. All it was fast paced. It was um, we're seeing everything happen. We're getting introduced to the family, and um, you now Ford's the only one down there, and and then he gets to bring home um, his honky. But it's it's the um, the 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 Mississippi stuff and and everything that was that Ford was doing before coming home and I don't know what kind of what 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 they had under the hood of that truck because I don't think you could get from Mississippi to New York as quickly as as Ford seemed to but the um I was just I was so into everything that's happening in New York in this book that almost I mean the stuff with the clan the stuff down stuff down south was almost I as great as it looked, I was like, okay, that's cool. It, it was, wasn't like, it wasn't slowing me down, but it, I, it was, it was keeping me from what I really wanted to read and see. And that was, that was about, you know, Miss Nightsdale and my Etta and, and hearing more, reading more of, of Berg speaking. I just, that's what I wanted. And I was, I was all in on the New York stuff. So that, that's where my focus was. I guess I, what I'm trying to say, I, I just, uh, part of me perceived the Janu as a scapegoat for. Yeah, I mean, I, I could almost assuredly tell you that, like, if the guys were on the show, they would vehemently disagree. That was not their intent. Okay. Again, I, I think they're trying to tell a story that's fictional to a point. I mean, it's a supernatural story, but very much, again, the Janu are taking advantage of, of, the, of the pre-existence of a lot of hate. It, it's not, it's, the Janu are not making these people bad. The Janu are capitalizing on the fact that there are bad people out there. So, so the the, the man and woman in the park were inherently they had these feelings and thoughts which enabled the Janu to possess them in a sense. Correct. It's no different than any other demon that gets it's no different than vampirism or anything right, like that. Right, right, right. Werewolves. I mean Yeah. I think you know in order to, to visualize 
corruption and hatred. Like, how do you do that? Right. It, it's in, like I said, at the very beginning, it's a very cool conceptual hook that yeah. these creatures are the, the visualization of these dark, black, disturbing, disgusting thoughts that, okay, I'm with that, but I just don't want somebody to come into this book saying, Oh, you know, they're, they're downplaying this, this whole, the, the, the struggle by transforming, or allowing these these people to be possessed by something, ergo that's why they did what they did, because yeah, they opened I, I themselves don't... up. But the, you you put it in a better frame because you said, well, the the seed was already there. The genu are just pissing on it, and making it grow. I mean, if this was a comic that the three of us made, I think that might be a, a criticism that's hoisted upon it because they'd be like, all right, white guys trying to be woke. But I mean, this is by three very, very politically active men of color. Sure. I, I don't, so I just don't. I think it's almost like obtuse to like suggest that. Like I, oh. I like I'm I'm a hundred percent sure they they didn't intend that. Right. right? I don't mean so, any disrespect yeah. at all. Like I'm just no, trying know, to understand. No, I'm saying right. I mean, that's some, like so. I'm, so I'm so like it's the old um, you know Occam's razor. So it's like well, okay. I mean, I know they didn't intend it that way. So I think ergo, what they mean is that they're just these are right. creatures. Creatures taking advantage, that's all. So therefore, so. I shall translate it in that manner from this point onward. From I henceforth. Ju- I, yes, I just, I just, you know, I, I just like to look at things, I guess, from, from yeah, different Yeah, no, of angles. course. I mean, that's the point is, is you, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's important to give a critical eye to something. I mean, that's. I'll give you more, I'll tell you the truth. You mentioned Monstrous. I've given Bitterroot far more brain power than I have Monstrous. <laughs> sure, I think I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, um, this is a. We'll get to what happens in the in the story, but this is a, a political book. I mean, it's obviously um, uh, in and in, in incredibly timely, and and frankly, rereading it in 2020 feels even more poignant than rereading it in 2019. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that every single thing that we're angry and shouting to the hills about right now wasn't going on in 2019 and 18 and 17 and 2010 of course it was but i'm just saying like right now it's very much of the moment i think it's 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 poignant and i think what's interesting is that they there's an undercurrent and it's only just mentioned in passing that some of the the characters obviously were uh born quite literally out of the massacre in tulsa which as we know from the watchman tv show is one of the greatest atrocities of uh, of domestic terrorism, if not the greatest we've ever experienced, and yet until the Watchmen TV show on HBO, 80-90% of white people didn't know what happened, right? So I like that they don't suffer fools in this. Like they presume yeah. that you understand the, the uh, some of the seminal moments in black history, which I really like. Like they didn't take a three page sidebar to tell you what happened right. at the Tulsa massacre. Yeah. Like it's just understood. You're supposed to understand that these two characters are possessed by incredible sorrow because the rest of their friends and family were massacred in Tulsa just by them saying Tulsa and, uh, and the year, right? Like you're, you're just that, and, and no, I, I like that they don't they don't give you a little editor's note like oh there was a massacre and so, like you're just supposed to know that like if you're reading this comic like be open enough to that you freaking know that that happened you know right. which I like about well, that I you got tip of the hat to Watchmen for uh, but see but that's but 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 Watchmen the show came out after this so the, yeah the, no no right that's I was what I'm saying. right yeah. no but but I so um, the way you just described it Jason is very much the way. Um, 
Warren Ellis treated planetary. Um, he didn't pretty much hit you over the head with, he didn't hold your hand and say, these are all the references that I put in this issue, whether it's about um, the Chinese mob movies or, uh, or, or Kaiju or, you know, it's like, here's, this is something and, and you can go and do some research on it. And I just hope that anybody who, um, since this was, this started before the Watchmen show that people reading this didn't see Tulsa and just figured that was something for in the story that, that, that the family is going to eventually tell us what happened in Tulsa because it's, it's related mm-hmm. to this comic book story. I'm not sure because it's related to real life events. And, and that, yeah. I, I hope that, um, that people were curious about that. And yes, and I'm glad that as, as glad as I can be that the Watchmen series actually made more people aware of it and and uh and then if anybody reading this can now say okay well then it wasn't it wasn't just for the sake of the story in a comic it was rooted in something real but the watchman series visualized it brutally yes yeah which was i think in in that contextual framework was necessary you mean how many people do you think watched watchman and just thought it was um uh, something for the show adjunct history right you're right right, yeah. right. well that's so what i'm history. saying i mean how many eyes were opened as a result right. of watchmen whereas as david was saying with planetary i can guarantee you that um uh, uh there's a smattering of readers that were going through watchmen thinking i don't know who what this this fucking eight man tarzan thing is <laughs> i don't get it or i don't right. know you know kaiju and they just left it at that they didn't bother <laughs> to to expend the the energy yeah. and the time to research it whereas in watchmen you guys don't know about this the ones that don't this is what happens that happened watch and it just and, played out and it's like you couldn't look away it was so devastating yeah and, and not to get off on a tangent but i do think and i've said this before i think one of the things that makes a writer great is uh is the ability to interlace things like what we're talking about where you either should get the reference for other reasons, or if you don't, you can then dig in on your own and get a richer experience. But if you choose not to or are oblivious to the undertones, you can still enjoy the story. Right. And I, like, I think that's the trick. I think some writers are good at putting things in, but if you don't go and look it up, if you, you're lost – Right. And I think that's a and personally, again, this is up for debate. I don't want to get on a tangent. I personally, it's a bit of a failing if you're making a commercial piece of of art to be consumed by masses. But but I think in this case, obviously, with this book and certainly like with Watchmen, I mean, I think that that's all you can just enjoy it for what it is on the screen or on the page. And, and you're none the wiser and you'll still have a very, very fulfilling experience with it whereas it's just it's so it's it this kind of backstory is just a way to enrich your appreciation for the work versus required for you requisite right for being right yeah. well that was the whole um critical uh response to dennis miller extremely bright man extremely talented comedian yeah, yeah. but i think he shot way too far above the heads of his audience oh dude he I don't know if you know this because i know you're not, you guys aren't very into the sports but he hosted monday night football for a bit yeah i knew that there's one of the and he was, to your point, it, I mean, I went into that liking Des- Dennis Miller very much. But in the context of hosting Monday Night Football, it was atrocious for the very reason you're suggesting. He would make these esoteric references. And you're watching a football game. Like, even if you were the kind of person 
like let's say like myself who loves football but also is into this kind of esoteric thing and you make the reference i might be inclined if i'm watching your hbo special or reading your your book to sidebar and figure out what you mean but when i'm watching a football game i neither have the interest nor time to do that so it was completely a bad fit i mean for your yeah. he would make these jokes or comments and literally 95 percent of the listeners would be they'd be like i don't what is he talking yeah, about? yeah I, I, I thought it was wonderful because uh, you know me not a football guy but i would watch his segments there was a thing <laughs> that would string together all his sure, his sure. uh outlandish uh yeah. reach, reaches and i'd be like this is the greatest guy on the planet because he did not consider his audience. He just went in there yeah. full, you know, blazing, just doing what he wanted to do. And I was like, who's going to get that? There's nobody yeah. that's going to understand what you just said. Uh, that's sure. awesome. Yeah, I love it. Should we? I mean, do you want to you want to jump in? I mean, we can go through this story wise pretty quickly. I think. I, mean, I think you issues. should do it. Well, I don't know if we want to do all five issues, but I mean, I'll we don't have to go issue by issue. You did big picture. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I, I, I can't say enough. I mean, he's a friend. We've had him on the show twice, so it's not a surprise to people. But I am a massive fan of Sanford's work. Like, I I love his his the way he draws people. Like, the, I just think it's so captivating. I I just adore dude's work, you know. I, I just think it's incredible. And uh, I know this is a totally collaborative effort, and I don't in any way want to besmirch uh, Chuck and, and David's roles in this, but – I I guess I, I this is one of those books where I I could I'm having trouble imagining the book being as enjoyable or as impactful to me had some other artist even one I consider to be a, a good artist do the book so I just think he's the right fit for the book um, you know he's again he's said this on a show before he's he's very much a um, an artist who's been um, inspired by. Uh, manga in a lot of ways and, and, and very expressive facial features and uh, likes to be cartoony, but not at the expense of, of, of I mean, the anatomy is never like totally wonky, but he's, he's just, he's, he's willing to stretch himself. I just think it really works well in what is ultimately, you know, you kind of get back to what you were starting with Vince. I mean, this book, there are demons and they're supernatural, but, but at its heart, it's a book about people and their relationships with one another. So, like, there is a lot of talky-talky pages, and I think you need to have a certain kind of cartooning style to make those captivating, and I think he's the right guy. Like, the the, the opening of the book, the first issue, the double-page spread is a, um, is a juke joint. It's it's a it's a bunch of, of, of people dancing to music at a club called The Sweet Pickin' in Harlem in 1924, yeah. right? It's like the Harlem Renaissance. And uh, oh. it's, it's, a, it's an incredible... It's, like I'm looking at the pages and I'm thinking I would I would love to own that even though there's no none of the main characters of the book are in it there's no quote unquote action it's just a scene from a juke joint and I think it's absolutely beautiful. I got a very strong Ernie Barnes vibe from that. Mm. Do you you know who Ernie Barnes was? Just a little bit. I don't. I mean, I'm not. Ernie like, Barnes not. was the artist that did the paintings for J.J. Walker on Good Times. Oh, right. And okay. that yeah, that right. one painting where yeah. everybody's dancing and you had that spotlights, yep. you know, shining down on them. Mm-hmm. Um, can, uh, compositionally, it's in the zone like the Ernie Barnes, but just the joy and the revelry that these people just right. get in their groove on. Like I, it just, that just spoke Ernie Barnes to me. Nice. And I and I thought it's. I think it's a great double page splash to open the book because community just sharing joy with each other Ossie and ruby are just like loving each other getting i mean they're just having so much fun it it, it establishes 
the the opening shot establishes that these are people you they're people just like anybody else they have the same wants and desires and 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 needs as just everybody and i just thought wow this is it's a it's a smart opener just yeah. people enjoying life right that's all Definitely. they're doing they're just enjoying life yep. uh, i think it's great yeah and and if if i had to fight you for that if the original art <laughs> was available i that i would probably strong. i would acquiesce to you because <laughs> you're just strong. you know you're the 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 keeper of the art but it is a uh, really nice spread yeah, for sure. Uh, and then we, and then we're like right, and then right from there we're introduced to the to the. And I don't, again, I don't, I honestly don't remember if it's if it's Sangri, Sangari, whatever. So I don't think we'll probably we'll probably switch back and forth tonight, and we can we can get the clarity from the gentleman who created the book of how it's supposed to be pronounced. But um, but it, we just jump into the next night, and two police officers are bringing the people that were attacked to uh, to the Sangrai family. And, um, and we know they're a family, by the way, because in the credits page, you have kind of a family photo of everybody. And above the the title, you get a little description of who they are. And it just, it makes the point that they're a, a family that for basically time immemorial have been fighting, uh, to purify what they call the genu, which we've already referenced. And they're humans consumed with hate, infected by evil and transformed into monstrous creatures. So a fairly straightforward prompt premise, right? Like, this is a family with a huge lineage of going back for hundreds of years of fighting, trying to turn these genu back into humans versus killing them. And that's really the premise. Uh, um, cops bring these people to them. We were introduced to to uh, to Ma Edda, who's the she's the matriarch, old, you know, older woman. Um, and uh, her her granddaughter, uh, who is named um, Blink uh, and uh funny name by the way considering my love for the uh, mutant character but um there it and is. she's like what's that there it is <laughs> i knew you're gonna mention blink no oh, that's that's i know it they're in the kitchen grinding roots and blink is like i, I don't want to be doing this you know i i like i'm gonna be fighting or helping cure the genu and grandma and my and Ed is like nah that's not what we do you know the women the men are the fighters the the <laughs> the, 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 the the muscles and we're the brains you know, we're, 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 and, and, and she's, you know, she's a, she's a woman who's in a time of, of, of social change. And she's like, I don't, she's not feeling the, the gender roles, right? She's not feeling the gender roles. And then we cut to, um, to Cullen and Berg, who, uh, are the, uh, Cullen is at the, at least as far as we're introduced to him, he's a skinny young kid. Um, Berg is, uh, this really just massive, he, he, He's not dissimilar in the way that Sanford draws him to uh, an oversized Luke Cage, like kind of the way he drew Power Man in Power Man Iron Fist, um, but with a gigantic beard, bald guy. And, um, you know, like Berg is just chilling. He's sitting on the rooftop uh, having a cup of coffee or tea, whatever it is, and just dropping knowledge, speaking the big words. And meanwhile, his partner in crime, Cullen, is uh, basically in his ass whooped by a red devil-looking creature, a, a genu. Um, and it's pretty clear that they're trying to capture this genu to cure him, to put him in a, a cage of sorts and then presumably give him the roots and cure him. But, like, I guess because Cullen is a young buck and not so good at it, uh, Berg is just, like, letting it happen. He's like, ah, man, you do you. I, You know, I keep helping you out. And ultimately, by helping you out, you're not getting any better. And so I'm going to let you just do your thing. And uh, it doesn't – it's not going too well. You know, it's really <laughs> – it's not going too well. And, I mean, as we've already said, I just love the character of Berg. Berg just uses these massively awesome SAT words, uh, like 
for example, in one passage, he says, Now dispense with the lollygagging and pay attention to the task at hand before you do get killed, which would be most uh, insalubrious. Right? Like, now I would imagine everybody had to look up insalubrious. And then he says, Dear cousin, you have a predilection for pretermitting that which is most pertinent. Get your head on the clouds. So he's just a dude that loves to use these words, and he's chilling. And meanwhile, the, I love the juxtaposition. It's kind of like uh, why I love Hank McCoy. Um, Berg is the biggest, most physically imposing character in the book. And yet he's the one that's trying to just take a moment, be chill, educate, use the big words. So I love the juxtaposition of that. Well, that's, a, um, that that's what knocks you out of your place of comfort. That's yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. Meanwhile, all this is going on, and uh, Blink's like, yo, I got to help him out. Like, th- th- things aren't going well up there. And, and Grandma Idol's like, nah, you just, just chill out. Let him do the thing. Whatever. Eventually, Blink doesn't hear it. She's like, I got to go help out. She comes up, and she whoops the genius ass. Like, straight up, she comes right out to the – and she doesn't even mess around. Boom, boom, boom. Takes the genie out. Berg and, and Colin are just kind of gobsmacked. And she said – you know, she, she makes clear this is really what I should be doing. They lock him up. They give him the, the they give him the, the 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 bitter root. They give him the 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 roots, the extract, and uh, effectively cure them. Right? They they turn him back into into human. And then we cut to two new characters, uh, and these characters are um, the ones that reference Tulsa, and they're clearly they want the Sangarai's formula. Um, to cure genus, but they allude to it not being for genus, but for themselves, because they're turning into something, and they need the strongest uh, type of, of of cure they can get, the serum that they can get, and that is from clearly the Sangharas have the, the the formula for that. So um, you know that's it's it's we don't yet know why they need it. They not not quite sure how they know about Sangharas, but we do know that that's they're like the third party in this because this story is really about. Ultimately, the whole arc is about three competing groups. There's the Genu, who are these demonic creatures. There's the Sangrai family, and then there's these other two. And uh, and, and then we find out that they're later on who they are. We'll get into that. They they are um, they're kind of the manifestation or leaders of another group of of demon like like creatures um, who have their own mission. But uh, kind of go from there. Um, you know, basically they they the Sangra, they, they they cure the the two the two genus back to human, and they bring them back to, to the park where they were initially attacked, presumably to let them just kind of wake up and go about their business. And two police officers are patrolling the park, and uh, as has probably again happened to an insane number of black men in America, like they're walking around doing their business, and, and two cops roll up on them and pull guns on them because. You know they're frightened by what they see. Now in this book, it's not quite like completely, completely. Uh, it's not completely um, uh, innocuous. I mean, they are carrying two what presumed to be limp, out, you know, unconscious or dead bodies. So, uh, admittedly, it's it's a scene that probably would would evoke police being a little bit inquisitive at the moment. Um, but uh, just as the police are like, like they're you know, you can and Sanford draws the panels where. The cops are like, all right, you know, like, 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 stop what you're doing, put them down. And you can see they're getting itchy trigger fingers and you can feel the tension and almost as if like, oh, no, are they going to shoot? And then just as it looks like they maybe are about to go ahead and shoot, um, you see this imposing figure from the shadows. 
and uh, and you can kind of guess where that's going. And then one of the cops shoots. Now, luckily, Berg is a badass, and he's got this metal pole a la Gambit, straight up, kind of dapples love in that, like the Gambit pole. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and blocks the bullets, and they're like, what the fuck? How do you block that? And then as they're as the cops are kind of like incredulous that this, this dude just blocked their bullet shots, um, this gigantic bird-like monstrous creature uh, decapitates the cops, <laughs> like straight up, like decapitates them, and then tells the the Sungrive guys to stay back and and is speaking. So they're kind of confused because the genie aren't normally like this; they don't have conversations that sort of thing. And then we cut to the Mississippi scene, which we referenced KKK are trying to lynch a guy claiming that he slept with a white woman. He swears he didn't even touch her. Uh, again, a scene, unfortunately, that happened many, many times, especially back in the 20s. Um, they're right about to lynch him. And, uh, and and the first issue basically ends with uh, us being introduced to Ford Sangurai, who is an estranged member of the family. Looks a lot like Blade, um, you know, long trench coat, gun, beard. He shoots all the KKK members. Um, that's how the first... Hmm? BFG, massive gun. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Space. Uh, so he he kills all that KKK, and that's how the first issue ends. And I love that um, some of the um, some of the uh, variant covers are ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. Like yeah. there's the Mignola one. Man, I'm like, damn. Um, there's a Dennis Cowan one. It's, it's great stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, um, oh, one second, sorry. Uh, I think the teacup is perfect. <laughs> with uh, just with Berg, thing, just yeah. because he and if you notice uh, in the first issue, the teacup looks like it has a little Lovecraftian motif mm-hmm. painted on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's just this, uh, and you you framed it perfectly with the uh, Hank McCoy. This this giant, massive brick wall of a dude, and he's got his little teacup with his pinky out like that. Is it's wonderful. Yep. And then I know I know that uh, Vince was tearing up at the start of the second issue because it was dedicated to Stan Lee. Oh, I'm still not over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Second issue picks up still in the Mississippi situation uh, where Ford had just got, got all the KKK except for this one kid, this one white kid who he didn't kill for some reason. And uh, as the kid saying, he killed them, he killed them all. All of a sudden behind him, you see all the KKK members rising up with these red eyes and these uh, toothy faces. So clearly they're, they're morphing, and they emerge as um, what look like kind of, I guess, bat-like. They almost look like vampires at first. Like, at first, when I first read this book, I thought they were vampires. Like, I didn't really put together. I thought maybe they were just different. The Sunrise just were monster hunters in general. Um, I don't yeah. know if refer to them as Chinu, but I'm saying I think he draws these to look like vampires. Yeah, me. a bit of a jackal vibe for me. Yeah. yeah. From, mm-hmm. from Amazing? Yeah. For sure, Yeah. Um, so they all come back to life, if you will, as, as Genu, and then Ford kills them all again. That was his intent from the start. Um, with uh, uh, I should we should have mentioned that the um, the serum that the Sangrai are making with the roots to cure the Genu are uh, is a green serum, and then the serum that Ford is shooting the Genu with is a purple serum. Um, and then we cut back to the Central Park scene, or actually it was Saint Nicholas Park because it's in Harlem. Um, where they're fighting the bird creature, and the bird creature acknowledges them, says, step aside, Sangrai. So they're baffled because, again, they're not used to Genu. Why would they know them? So clearly this is not the typical situation. Um, they are completely outmatched by this giant bird creature. Um, 
and and the bird creature's whooping their ass, and then and then even has time to do a monologue by saying, "You're so mistaken. I'm not a genu. This is what I came for." And picks up the two cured humans that they had brought back to the park, and uh, and runs off and and says as she's running off, or as, as it's running off, um, I need them for it's our, it's for survival. Uh, so, um, so you know that's I mean, and we we do find out why why they're saying that, but at the time you're like, well, what's that all about? Um, and then you know I give these guys credit, and again, this is probably where. And I don't know if you guys want to go this route or not, but I think it's okay for us to speak on this. It's the next page is back to the scene where the KKK were killed by Ford and the white dude, the one that he left alive says you black bastard. And there are other points in this book where they use racial epithets. Mm -hmm. Like now they don't use the N word in it's like, no, they do it with a, like with with an accent. That's what I'm saying. They don't they don't spell out the N word like in its canonical form. They use a derivation of it. Uh, yeah, right? I was like, going to say not in its pure form, but there's nothing pure about that word, so that right, would be right. A, a right. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. They use another. They use a southern. Right. So, yeah. So, so southern inflection. But the meaning is. Oh is, yeah, you can't miss derived. it. Yeah, yeah it, you know what they're saying. Yeah. Right. But it it does get to. I mean, I'm not even sure it matters, but. Again, it gets to could Jeff Parker have done that in the book? I'm asking, like, I'm not trying to. I'm, I'm not, no, I'm no, just, I know you're not. See, um, I str- I struggle with this too because yeah. there was something yeah. on Twitter the other day about a Kanye song comes on, and it was it, the the tweet was written by a black man, and the he said, uh, "This is the feeling I get when this Kanye song comes on," and I guess it's full of that word, mm-hmm. and you're in a in a party with. A bunch of white people, and you're just sweating the fact that you hope they don't start singing along with the song. You know what I mean? So that's in that same realm where, yeah, the, who I gets think, the license to use that word? Well, this to me was more. Well, this is. I mean, again, this was created by three black men, so obviously they they sure they, they, they do it. But I was thinking, like to me, when I brought up the Jeff Parker, I was thinking more along the lines. I know we've had this conversation. I don't maybe maybe not on the show air, but we've we have collectively had this conversation as friends. About like Quentin Tarantino, right, you know? right. Like, like I don't. I mean, Tarantino. Most people that I know don't think of him as racist. I know he doesn't consider. He considers quite the opposite of racist. He has a number of very prominent black Hollywood actors, and you know, more, um, you know, uh, Sam Jackson being at the top of the list, but uh, but but who do his movies all the time. But as as Dap has pointed out. Tarantino loves to use the N word in his movies. I mean, like yeah. a lot, like a tremendous <laughs> amount. Yeah, and uh, it's the, you know there are people who think it's so. appropriate, and then there are lots of other people who think it's totally fine because. And it's, okay, I, I just I want to clarify because it's I I want to my my issue is having Quentin Tarantino himself say it in his movies. Basically, having white people say it, but but specifically having QT say it because. Um, and, and he seems to be able, and again, I'm sure Samuel Jackson probably calls him friend. I don't think he'd work with him if he thought right. Quentin Tarantino was a racist. But I get uncomfortable, and it's and and that's no, fine. I, mean, I think it's designed to make you uncomfortable. Which is, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, uh, no. you're right. But I mean, at the end of the the long uh, day, 
Quentin is the one putting the words in the mouths of his characters. So it's yeah. the same thing whether his characters well, right. say it or not. And again, him. I'm not even saying that there's a right or wrong there. You know, in the past when we've had this conversation, I've said that for me, Tarantino is the greatest filmmaker of my uh, of my generation, contemporary wise. Like I, you know, him and Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, are the like I'm just talking about people specifically yeah. of that age. I forgot David, Lynch, not of the era. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean, and and it 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 doesn't make me uncomfortable other than the fact that it seems like it makes some of my black friends or like people like David that are married to a black woman, like uncomfortable. And then I think like, Oh, like maybe, you know, I, anyway, it's a tangent. Never mind. I, I just, no, but it's a good that. tangent and it I think is, it's completely I, applicable to the, or it, it's relevant to the book. And it's weird because I think somebody like Jeff Parker or, um, Fred Van Lent, they, they would be respectful. I mean, we know, they would come at it because they're trying to paint this character in a very negative light. And, and that's just the kind of, so I don't, I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't be a reader who'd say, Oh, this is the writer trying to get away with something or the writer is, is, is subliminally letting us know that, you know, he's cool right. with these words. I, well, that's what I'm getting at, right? Like in, in the scene later in the book where, where the, the N word is used, it is a outright unapologetic Southern racist white dude. Yes. And he's like, you brought a N word into my house. How dare you? And, that's what I'm getting at. I was thinking like, well, like if, if this is just a remender book we were talking about, would in 2020 would, and I'm I'm not even, I'm not interested in the motivation. Like, would he have be willing to, that's irrelevant. If he did, if this was written by a white guy, would, would it be problematic? Like, do you think it would be, and my guess is it would probably be raised as an issue by some and some would be okay with it because I'm talking about if it was exactly using the exact same way, like, like it's just a it's a dude you're supposed to hate because he's racist and he uses the word, you know. You see, that's where I'm coming from as a tool for a writer to convey all of the information he needs to the reader. Having a mm-hmm. character drop that word fleshes out that character. In I mean, it's it's very concise. It says everything that it needs to say. If you have a character spew this word in a panel, the reader immediately knows. Everything right. about this character. So, in in terms of con- uh, creation and construction of of these these constructs that are characters, it's a really effective word. Mm-hmm. Now, but uh, is is it is it free? Is it like Creative Commons? Can anybody use it? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I've I've I have thought about that for uh, a long time, and, and yeah. It, do you limit yourself as a writer because there are certain words that you just shouldn't use or, or do you uh, untether yourself, use it at the risk of backlash? I don't know. I don't know, but you have to admit uh, it's a scalpel, man. There's, there's no, uh, there's no going home after you drop that. Mm -hmm. The cut is made. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, 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 I don't think I'm, uh, I mean, as a human being, I would never use it ever. I don't believe right. I ever have, uh, mm-hmm. just in, I mean, growing up, it was just something I heard and I, I just sure. didn't sure. like the sound of it. Right. So yeah. uh, you, you immediately knew that yeah. there's something off about this word. Right. Do you think, I mean, it's image. So largely you get full creative control. So I'm guessing the answer is no. But do you think um, they they either couldn't or uh, explicitly chose to use a derivation of the word instead of the actual word? 
I think they chose to use. The, yeah. I, I, I think they wanted to make sure that you knew it was in the South, and this this fucking dumb okay. just that's that's just that's how he says it. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I get the whole wanting to strip a word of its power, and Patty Smith was uh, is and was all about this. That the the she has a song um, that's titled "Rock and Roll N Word," right? And she has a a, a laundry list. Jimi Hendrix was an N word. Jesus Christ was an N-word. Jackson Pollock was an N-word. And she's not using the word in the traditional sense. She's using it as an outcast, someone that was subjugated, someone that was was downtrodden and abused and maligned, right? So I don't know how successful uh, Patti Smith was at that goal of depowering that word, of stripping that word of its power, but uh, I don't think she plays the song live in concert anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, but I mean, I get the meaning behind it, and and I sure. think the saving grace of the song is to say Jesus Christ was an N word. That paints the entire picture right there, right? This this the man was was beaten, abused, cast out, ridiculed. Uh, I mean, everything that applies to uh, uh, racism in, in the the big sense was applied yeah. to Jesus by people who didn't just didn't care for him or didn't understand him or didn't want his message to be um, to proliferate. Right. So it, I, I think it, I mean, and again, when it's a powerful song for the fact that you're using a word that's like a neutron bomb, it's not yeah. it's it's not a firecracker. That thing can blow up your shit. And so, right. you know, to use it, a brave woman, a white woman, but but, but entirely brave. And I think uh, the meaning was was from the the heart and the soul. But I guess you know, it's just it's it's a it's a tough call, man. I mean, that room is that word is toxic, man. It's yeah. toxic. To 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 further derail this, there's we wife and I are big fans of Eddie Griffin. Love his comedy, love his stand up, and he uses the word a lot in his in in his routine and he's of the belief he holds the opinion that the more you say a word the less power it has sure and that's that's why he says it my wife doesn't agree with that she feels that the more you say a word that gives people the opportunity that gives people some people figure that that's a way then that they're allowed to say it because you just say it so just willy dilly, and and you can just say it whenever, and and therefore because it doesn't have any meaning. If you're telling me that it's, it's lost its meaning, then I should be able to say it because it doesn't mean anything. And and so there's the two schools of thought there. But if anybody, my wife is is she uses me for many reasons. But if anybody were to use that word on her, she you has a bitch. well, no. See, the thing is yeah. this: she because she, she's heard it in the past, but but. As, as Vince likes to point out, words have power if, if you let them, but she knows she isn't one. So you can say oh, it to your blue that. in the face and call her that, but if if that's not what I am, then I don't know who you're talking about. My girl, so, that's exactly my mindset. I don't right. understand the whole, your mama's a hoe, and people got cut and killed and, and shot over that. Like I'd be like, my mother's not a hoe. Right. That's not even the truth. So whatever right. you just, you know, continue. Don't let me stop you. But that's not the reality of the situation. But right. then, then it raises the the argument: Should this word be stripped of its power? 
Mm-hmm. It's a okay. We said our piece on this word. It's a very despicable word. But I think in using it to inform and to educate, this was used against us. They called us this to to for all the things that we said before to subjugate and 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 reduce and demean and dehumanize. They called us this. Would that's that's a very effective. Uh, signpost to what has happened yeah. over the years. I think years. there's, yeah. Like, I think in this case, uh, as with many things, it's it's actually easier being white. Like, for us, we just know it's not okay, right? Like, it's right. very easy to... Um, and, you know, we have good friends of color who use it, like, I mean, as if it's the most common word in the English yeah. language, right? Yeah. They even use it on us. I mean, it's not like, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm saying, and right, like, and, and they, so obviously they put no power behind it. Like, there's right. no, um, and then you have, I know people, not, your wife not excluded, who find it offensive and prefer not to use it. Um, I watched a, a, a speech that uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates gave a few years back. You can find it on YouTube if you're interested, where, where he was in a, I don't remember what he was, uh, he was, it was a uh, like a Q and A. He was up on stage. I don't remember what he was, what, what event it was for. But during the the Q and A, um, that that issue comes up, and he goes on like a twenty minute, as you would expect with him, a very eloquent, impassioned, calm explanation of why he uh, doesn't think it should be spoken, and doesn't think that black people should call each other it, and 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 is more of the line of like I I kind of like guess with Renee is we're like I think using it the way we do just desensitizes people to it and empowers it and and you know and again but i'm saying i don't think i I, i'm not equipped nor should i have a strong opinion one way or the other i like you said i know a lot of black people use it with each other and it's not my place to say it's cool or not cool um you know so it is what it is but uh yeah hell of a tangent we just went on i hope yeah no but uh, necessary i i i don't know uh i'm i i mean i i'm not eminently qualified it really depends in my mind it, it depends on on who's wielding it if it's if it's in a casual conversation amongst brothers who just want to, you know, who are riffing on each other, that's fine. But if it's, the thing is, when a white person is saying, they're, they're absolutely saying it to get a rise out of someone. No white person is going around going, yeah, I'm going to use that word because that's what I'm going to call my boys. That's what I'm going to call Kyle and Chad and Caden. And that's what we call each other. No, no, it's not. You're saying yeah. it because you think you can, you can take it. And that's not, that, that's not what it's about. So you don't, there are just some things you don't get to do. You don't get to use tampons either, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Like, why do you have to have <laughs> everything? Just, just let shit be where it belongs. I think it no, should, it should disturb. It, it, it should immediately strike uh through all the layers of of cultural shit and just just pierce the heart and say this is a this is what we went through it should scare you it should make you feel bad all in many kind of ways so i no i i power is very much needed uh especially these days and and i i think no i wouldn't i would just uh, again, speaking from someone who I, I has really no, uh, I mean, I, I try and understand, but if you have a tool that's very effective in, in, in splaying the, the, the entirety of the injustices that have been perpetrated upon you, why not use it? Like, yeah. this, this is it. This is, look yeah. at this one, they've reduced us to one word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying, yeah. Hmm. But I uh, mean, I mean, at the end of the book, I mean, I know we're not done with it yet. But again, this has served to further educate me 
and that's well, that's, that's what you yeah, need. Good. That that's for sure. Uh, I'm I'm glad this thing exists, and if yeah. not only for entertainment value, but but on 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 a soul level, just to 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 increase my appreciation and my compassion, and my my uh, stature as a friggin' human being, right? Mm-hmm. You got to yeah. recognize and re- and understand. Sure. Um, all right. Well, let's jump, I guess we should jump back in. Uh, so. The bird creature um, comes back to the lab, so we immediately know that it was the woman that we were introduced to earlier. Um, she's carrying the bodies, and then there's a little bit of a – she transforms back into a beautiful woman, and we're introduced to them by name. She is she is uh, Miss Nightsdale. He is Dr. Sylvester, and he clearly loves her, and he says, where would I have – I would have died in, with – I would have died in Tulsa with all the others were it not for you. And so that's, again, that what we were yeah. talking about at the beginning of the show. Where if you have some kind of base level education as to the plight of, 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 of black Americans, you understand that they're talking about the Tulsa Massacre. Um, but for some, maybe that just went over you. Or maybe you just thought it was part of the story and you would find out later. I don't know. But the point is they're, they're, they were part of the Tulsa Massacre. Yeah, I got to admire my man's restraint. Because if a woman that fetching walked <laughs> up to me naked, dripping feathers, I'd be like, let's put this room on pause for a second. <laughs> we're just gonna i mean she's very attractive she is she, she is, is. Yep. um so they have the bodies he's clearly explaining that the sangrai's fief no serum which is the the green serum that cures uh is the strongest of them all and they need it because they need to control what they're becoming and uh and and then he basically like there's a, a page where they're he kind of like his eyes are glowing and i'm not quite sure what he's even really doing to them in that in that in that moment because it, it seems like it's more like a scientific thing he wants to extract the serum from them but looks like he's doing some some kind of mystical thing to them um and, and then we we get back to mississippi we're at an old house where uh the young man who was going to be lynched that ford ended up saving um is his uh the, the boy's grandparents are thanking ford for for saving him and and all of that and uh, he's explaining that he's because they're saying they missed the days where, where the purifiers were, were plentiful. Because now a few times in the book already we've had references from uh, Edda and now from these people, these older grandparents, that there used to be a lot of purifiers that go around curing Genu, and for some reason they've been um, they've been dwindling, and so there aren't enough around anymore. And um, and they thank him for it. And then uh, Ford makes it very clear he doesn't consider himself a purifier anymore, which is probably why he's. Uh, the black sheep of the family, he he says, uh, you know, the days of purifying are over. There are no curing the genu. Uh, there's not enough roots in the world to purify everybody that's that's the genu. So his job is to amputate. He goes around killing them, um, and uh, you know, kind of sets the tone for where he's different. He's like the Punisher of the, in as much as this group would be the defenders, he's the Punisher of the group. <laughs> favorite um, character, you know, he's my favorite. Yeah, sure. Um, and then interestingly, and again, I love the. This is kind of something you wouldn't expect. The white kid who was part of this KKK group, but the only one of the group that he didn't kill and also wasn't turned into a genu because he had never yet committed a true hate crime. Now, he likely would have that night had 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 sure. not interrupted, but he hadn't. He So he's still alive and he, he becomes in a, like in a completely odd way the Ford's aide de camp, like his his right hand man. He's which is surprising, he, right? I mean, he's but, Hydra but he, Bob. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So Ford's like, get in, you know, like because the kid says he knows where there's more Genu, and Ford's like, get in. So it's a little, it's talk about an odd couple. Um, and then uh, we we then cut back to the Sangarai headquarters in New York, where um, 
unfortunately, uh, Berg had been attacked. Well, when he was fighting the 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 bird creature, he had been attacked by the return cut, and he's very ill. And they're trying to Cullen needs needs to be treated and whatnot. Um, and, and they're like the genu attacked him, and then Maeda's like, I don't think it was a genu that attacked him. And the last page of the of that issue is Berg sitting in a seat, and he is looking now like a green demon. And saying uh, genu attacks don't cause infection. It's quite an apparent I'm indeed infected. So um, you're left to wonder, okay, if it wasn't a genu, what was it, right? And that's that's how the second issue ends. Um, and uh, I really think that one of the things we don't want to get lost in as we kind of break through this book is I think it's really well paced. Like I think in as much as Vince said he preferred to read it in an arc form, I do think um, they do a nice job uh, where each issue does end on a cliffhanger. Like I think they do – serve the people who are buying it in issues well it's it's not there there isn't a too many people that write for the trade now there there are issues it just feels like you're you're stepping into a, a chapter uh along along the road and i think in this case they they did a nice job of giving each issue its own its own arc amidst the bigger arc and i i do think that's a, a testimony to the writers but um but uh in issue three uh berg is just like fully demonic they're having trouble keeping him in control and, and, and basically carousing him and um, they don't know what to do. Right. And then um, kind of uh, there's three scenes going on at once. There's, there's the Sangharai's headquarters where Berg is going nuts and they're trying to figure out what to do with him. There's Mississippi at the house where Ford is talking to grandparents. And then there's Harlem at the sweet picking, which is the club that uh, the couple were at the night before that uh, ended up leaving for the park and getting attacked. Yeah. Amazing bookend. What's to, that? This is an amazing bookend to that first splash, where it, yeah. it's the counterpoint to. Yeah, and right, and then the next pages I think with Vince is talking about is another another double page spread, kind of a similar layout to the dance floor up top, taking up half the pages, and then there's boxes interstitials at the bottom, and whereas we're first introduced to the club, it's all of these completely gleeful um, uh, black men and women dancing and singing. This page is a bunch of cops with just anger in their faces beating down uh, the, the the club goers. Yep. Uh, Joy and pain. Same color, same color schemes, like yep. this purple blue color scheme. Um, and it's just very. I mean, I was going to say it's arresting. No pun intended. It's it's it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, it really is quite. And the, the face, the facial features of the of the of the club goers, and and just just abject fear and. And uh, deference, right? Um, like a lot of a lot of people on their hands and knees, just kind of putting their hand, like saying "Don't hurt me," and and yeah. and cops, which is like rage in their face. They're not having a good uh, time. No, no, not at all. And then this is where we get to the whole the the N word stuff, because because the then the middle part is is Burr going crazy and them having trouble containing him, and then the bottom is this old dude wearing a Confederate hat in a rocking chair, old white dude uh, sitting, and they're going to talk to him, and he starts using dropping the N word. And uh, and Ford's like, oh, is that right, devil? And he's like, I ain't no devil, but the devil's coming, boy. And then morphs into this green demon-like creature and attacks Ford. It says, here comes boy. And uh, a devil or the devil makes no difference to me. A lot of N-words being fact words. He calls him dirty son of a bitch. And, uh, and uh, then attacks a white kid for bringing an N-word to his home. And uh, you know, and then of course Ford does what he does. He, he kills he kills the the creature. Um, but what's interesting is he says this is a genu, but it's not a genu like I normally know. Most genus are uh, humans, men corrupted by with a corrupted soul. Humans turn devil, but he says this was a devil pretending to be a human. 
uh, and he had heard stories of this, but he'd never actually met one. And he had heard that they come and they actually are protectors of the gateway to this other realm where the, where the genie were from, the demons are from. Um, so, I mean, that's, it's foreshadowing obviously, but, but, uh, but, uh, yeah. So, so then we jump back to the scene of Dr. Sylvester, uh, and Miss Nicedale and, uh, he's frustrated because, um, the, the serum that they created from the two victims that was supposed to help mitigate their circumstance isn't working. Um, and she's like, well, what are we going to do now? And he kind of like does a 180 where he floats in the air as I start glowing. And he's like, you know what? We don't need the cure. Like we are the cure. Like we're going to, there's no reason like, we're the angels of, of retribution and we're going to go out and we're going to clean, we're going to cleanse everything. Yeah. Superb so, color work on that page. Oh, I think the color works great in this. I mean, shout out to Rico. Sanford and Rico are both credited with coloring the book. But, uh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and then meanwhile, they're, the Berg is still strapped in. They're trying to figure out what to do. Mata's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, I ain't got no clue. He's going crazy. And I love it because she's this, you know, this old lady, this little petite lady. And she's like, listen, I just want you to know, I I still got enough in me. Like, if you can't get this in control... I'm going to take you out. Like, I will do that. I can still do that. Like, I have enough in me to take you out. Um, and uh, and then we're back to the scene with the cops. And, the, and you know, there's just this one scene part where you see the back of a cop and he's got a baton and just blood blood trail, blood splatter. Mm-hmm. And another cop to his credit is like, yo, ease up, man. Like, come on. What are you doing? And he's like, Christ. And then he turns and, and all the cops sit like we're in the midst of beating down this 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 poor man and this this Man is, is is got just bruises and blood all over. The the cops are now Genu. They're and they're like, what are you looking at? You know, um, and then we so and really this arc is in a lot of ways introducing us to all the different players. Um, so and then we're introduced to another another player who is Uncle Enoch. And um, uh, I didn't mention before, but but at some point because they can't figure out what to do with Berg, Cullen says, well, listen, we don't have an answer here. Let's go talk to Uncle Enoch. And uh, Blink, is, Blink is beside herself. She's, she says, I, you're, he's dead to us. He killed your parents. He killed my parents. Or he led to their deaths, rather. I, 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 he's, he's not part of the family anymore. Uh, why do you want to talk to him? And then both he and, uh, and, and, and Edda say, well, because he knows things that most men don't. He knows more than the roots. He understands other things, and we may need that for Berg. So he heads on over to, uh, to Uncle Enoch's place across the river, Walks in and uh, and again, kudos to the character design. He's accosted by all these little impish-looking creatures. They're like I don't know. They're like uh, they kind of look like little a little bit like dogs, but they got a they got they got uh, I don't know what would you say like not rabbit ears like maybe fox ears. I don't know. Yeah, they but, look like little fox. Yeah, like little foxes, but but Some but one on two legs, like appendages. Kind of yeah, a cute, cute little Pokemon vibe from them. Right, they have they have they have some have robotic legs, some have robotic arms, but they go after him. But they're basically just pinning him down because they're Uncle Enoch's pets and um, and and subduing him. And Uncle Enoch is none too too thrilled to see his his nephew because it's been a, it's been a minute and he didn't invite him. Um, but uh, he makes it clear to Uncle Enoch, look, something's wrong with Berg. You need to help. And uh, you know, family's family, right? So he, so he does what he has to do. So okay, let's let's go help him. So uh, just as it looks like Berg is gonna. Um, Break free and, and cause all kinds of havoc. Uh, Uncle Enoch and Cullen head to, to 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 fix what ails him. Um, then we get a little more backstory as to Ford and and 
he he explains what we already referenced where he's talking about how it's always been rumored there's these gateways to this other realm and that uh, uh, there's a map of it and so forth and so on. Um, and then we cut back to the cops, the possessed cops, and there's like half the cops are possessed and turned into Genu, and then the other half of the cops are standing there uh, in front blocking the citizenry with their guns drawn trying to protect the the club goers and um and again i think subtle but powerful in 2020 especially if you read it they're 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 pointing their guns at these demonic cops who just killed a bunch of people and, and the guy says we got to stop them and then the other guy says we can't shoot other cops you know and i just think man like that that just hit me right like with what we're dealing with right now right like it's it's like even when they're demons <laughs> like killing people the blue line right it's just like really you know um, but I guess, uh, unfortunately for the Genu cops, uh, the doctor shows up and, uh, in his new form, his, his form. And he, he's just a, basically a dude that's, he looks, he's a much more muscular shirtless version of himself and, uh, with red eyes. And he says, I'm the archangel come to cast him out. I'm salvation. And he just lays wreck to them all. He just, he destroys them all. Um, uh, there will be no forgiveness. He just, and he, he literally grabs them like one and just like, pops his head off like it's a toy, you know, and says, this is what it's all about. Um, and that's how we finish up the the third issue. I, I should mention, um, one of the other cool things about this is, and I don't know if it's like this in the trade paperback, maybe you guys can speak to it, but, uh, there's pretty cool back matter in these books. Tons. Like, in the trade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Like at the end of the third issue is a essay called blood in the rut by Dr. Regina Bradley. Yep. Um, and, uh, it's just each, each issue has an essay by a, uh, a professor of some kind of some kind of of whether it be black history or ethnography um and and they just read a, an essay that's uh, pertinent to what we're reading a bit of root as well as uh history of black americans and uh, it's it's fascinating stuff i i really thought it was it was a nice touch you know i'm not usually one for back matter so um like i, I gotta say that in this case it's back matter that i that i enjoyed um and then um in issue four, we are presented with this the cop scene, and it's just mayhem because you've got cops that don't want to shoot their own kind, but they're trying to protect the people. And then you've got the doctor who is just laying waste to all of these, these demons. Uh, and then you've got, like, it, it, nobody knows what to do. Um, then you have the aforementioned scene where Ed is telling Berg, look, listen, dude, get your shit together because, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck with you if you can't get it together. <laughs> So all the other Sankarai kids, including Blink, are out there trying to control the masses. It seems as though, for some reason, there's just an outflow of Genu now. Like, like tons of people are turning into Genu. It, it, the place is getting overrun, so they're trying to do what they can. And uh, suddenly, Berg, even though he's still green and demonic, um, gets his wits back about him. And again, it very much reminds me of Hank McCoy, because, because Beast has had iterations where he's human and can turn bestial. He's had iterations where he's bestial and dumb he's iterations where he's his most common obviously is where he's he's bestial but very intelligent and even though berg is strapped in and looks like a demon he just swears to edda like listen i'm good i got it under control i have my faculties if i don't help we're gonna lose we're gonna lose we're gonna lose the rest of them like let me help and uh and edda says listen i don't have any choice so i'm gonna give you a chance and uh she lets him go and then he goes out and starts wrecking shop with him and then more cavalry arrives because in a great double page spread, you've got this awesome militarized like bike with a sidecar, and you got Uncle Enoch driving with uh, Cullen, 
hanging on for dear life in the sidecar, and a bunch of the little creatures that are his Enix pets and sidekicks are hanging out of the car too. And uh, they barrel through a bunch of the demons to jump in too, uh, until they get absolutely gaffled by Nightsdale in her bird form. And uh, and they join the fray, and there's just a big melee basically between all three of these groups, um, you know, basically jockeying for position in 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 many ways. Um, and it's just clear that that something is happening that's causing uh, an outbreak. And even though they're shooting some of the genu with the serum to cure them, the fiefnu, uh, it's Enoch's opinion that they're not going to stay human for long. It's going to be a temporary fix, so they have to do something more. Um, although what that more is, I'm not quite sure. At least we're not quite sure at the time. Um, so as they're trying to figure out what the hell to do next, you're introduced to the doc again. And behind him is a bunch of creatures that uh, are quite, I mean, it's, it's, you know, everyone looks very different. I mean, there's, there's one that looks kind of like the sugar man. There's one that looks like a one eyed, almost like a Cthulhu creature. Um, and it's clear that they are uh, a different group. Uh, they're not, you know, they're not, uh, they're not uh, Genu. And we get a little bit of the the monologuing backstory from the doc. He explains that he lost his family in Tulsa in twenty one, and he was dead and buried in the rubble too. And then he was given purpose, basically possessed, to uh, to, to to lay vengeance on the Genu. Um, and uh, then we get a little couple scenes of Ma Edda doing a Yoda. She gets knocked back, and suddenly, like her hair falls down. She's got the dreads. <laughs> she's like, "Oh no, you didn't." She's like, and like she basically gets fucked up by a genu. She gets crap put through a wall. She gets herself up, shakes herself. She's like, "All right, then you came to play. Come on here to Ma Edda. And then she whoops his ass, which is great. I mean, it's like when it's like when when Yoda pulls out the lightsaber, and you're like, "Oh shit, I didn't have that in you." Um, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. then a bunch of uh, um. A bunch of the creatures break into their compound, and uh, and it, just when it looks like they're going to have a, a, a serious fight on their hands, Ford is up on the building with his gun, and he just starts taking, he just starts gaffling some, some demon fools. You know, she just he just starts uh, taking them out and um, kind of leveling the playing field. But uh, but Doc is like, well, you know, we're the harbingers of retribution. There's a swirling sky, beautiful color work, pur- purples and oranges. Uh, kind of opening up like a vortex and these demons are coming out and in the fray some of the demons are uh, grab Cullen and they pull Cullen through the portal through the vortex and that's how the issue ends and uh, you know rest in peace Cullen question mark right (laughs) Um, and then uh, one second I gotta go to issue five here one second hold up there we go. Um, by the way, one thing: doesn't Uncle Enoch look white? Don't it doesn't look like they draw him white. A little <laughs> bit, a little, yeah. yeah. Like but he's I, not white because he's. I mean, he's he's not at his kid, but but right. He, he looks white. I think um, the name is perfect. Enoch. Yes. Why? Yes, because he's come to level judgment. He's going to oh, convict I all see. the ungodly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, depending on what faith you. You you target. Sure. I mean, you sure. know, he could be. The, I think Enoch might just be a little pale. Could be the architect mm-hmm. of the city of Zion. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, in in the in the Christian sense, at least New Testament wise, um, Enoch is the the man's going to just going to get it done. Yeah. 
so Cullen falls through the portal, falls down, lands into this barren, barren wasteland, along with some of the little pet creatures. Um, and then a, a mysterious person walks up and grabs him and puts him over their shoulder and says, I have you, Cullen. So, I mean, again, smart writing there because without editor's notes, you, you're, you, if you're paying attention, you notice like this person knows who Cullen is, right? It's not like, oh, I've got you, person, or I've got you, you know, it's I've got you, Cullen. So clearly the person that's in this other dimension knows who Cullen is. Um, then we're back to back to Harlem and you've got uh, you've got the uh, basically setting up a battle between the doc and his crew against the Sangurai. And uh, it's almost in a way drawn like a wizard battle, I think, kind of going back and forth. Enoch is um, capable of doing magic and alchemy. Um, so he, he does his best to fight the fight. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a daunting task. I mean, they're powerful creatures um, for sure. And they kind of uh, make their way here. Uh, basically, Sylvester is starting to get his ass whooped. And so... Miss Nightsdale uh, grabs him, says, I have you, and uh, makes a getaway because she's a bird. She flies away, and uh, Ford shoots at her on her way out and thinks he hits her, but he isn't sure. Well, he thinks he has, but we don't know for sure. As, but they do escape, and um, and uh, and then we find out a couple pages later, because they're back in their lair of sorts, uh, unfortunately for Miss Nightsdale, she was, in fact, uh, wounded mortally by by Ford and uh, the doc is fucking pissed. He's not trying to hear it. And so he says that uh, they will pay for this. All of them starting with the Sangurai. Uh, so setting up a bit of a, of a blood feud. And then back in Harlem, there's just lots of displaced people who, who are dealing with uh, being scared and hungry and, and homeless now. And so Ma's trying to cook up some food for him and blinks like, what the fuck are we cooking food for? We got shit to do. And, uh, you know, like a good doting grandma, she lays it on and says, listen, listen, I don't know. Like, it all has to get done. Like, we got to take, like, our job is not just to fight the fight. We got to take care of the people that need to be taken care of. It's all got to be done. Got to got to tend to the wounded. We got to feed the feed the hungry. And we got to fight the fight. Like, it, they're all equal. Got to do it all. You know, kind of like school and the youngins, which I like. I like the old, you know, the old wise folks, school and the youngins. Um, and then, finally, Enoch has been working on which is what he went there for in the first place, a cure for uh, Berg and uh, injects Berg with the cure and it works. Berg is back. Uh, uh, he's back, but he can still feel something. He says he can feel it. I can feel him feel who. And uh, just as he's saying, I feel him. Uh, the doc shows up with his crew again inside the house. I don't know whether they teleport. It's not clear the way it's drawn. If he teleported in or if it's, breaks through the door. I'm not sure if that even matters, but but uh but he and all his his, his crew are, are, attack the Sangurai and uh and uh it's a full on melee. Uh and it basically it's meant to imply that the that the doc and his crew were gonna have their advantage or have their way with the Sangurai. Uh and just as as you would assume the tide's about to turn for the worse, uh a portal opens up and out flies a uh a a staff-wielding person, kind of like a Nighthawk metal bird-like mask, uh, and then another person with a battle armor and like Wolverine-type claws, and then a bunch of the little pet dudes all come through the portal, and there's some awesome fight scenes, some great double-page spread fight scenes between all these people and, and creatures, and uh, they vanquish the demons, and all of a sudden, 
they're like, well, who the hell are you all? Like, we, like, like, what the fuck are you about? And uh, one of the masked people says, Ford, stop pointing that thing at me. Again, <laughs> implying, obviously, they know who Ford is. Takes the mask off. And who is it? But it's Blink's mom. Ed is, Ed is daughter, Blink's mom, who they thought died at Enix mistake going through the portal years ago. So turns out she didn't she didn't die. She went to the portal and became a heroine over there uh, of sorts. And uh, and uh, and then they're like um, the other person in the mask is like, well, yeah, she was pulled through the gateway, but she didn't die. And then the next page, and neither did I. And uh, opens the mask off, and it is an all grown up, manly man version of Cullen. He's he's clearly aged, gone through puberty, whatever. Like he's fully, he's all grown up now. He looks like a completely different person, basically. And uh, and says, uh, we got to get ready because hell's coming. And uh, and that's how the the first arc ends. Now, I mean, there have been four more issues since, and uh, as you might imagine, it picks off right where that left off. So I won't I won't spoil it because we have whole, we have another issue until that arc is finished anyway. But um, but yeah, so it sets the tone, right? Like there's more coming. Like there's a there's a whole. And then in issue six, which is the start of the second arc, we find very much out about the name of the place, the other dimension, uh, who's coming, who's there, what she was doing while she was there, who else is over there. If there's other there's there other there's other Spoilers, there's other members of the Sangrai family still over there. So, um, yeah, there you go. That's that's the first volume. One quick note before you, you guys react. Huge props to these guys on the trade dress because each of the first five issues has Bitterroot, the Bitterroot logo in red. And the background is all blue, like turquoise and light blue, green uh, hue. So it's the exact same setting that the... the the characters on each issue are different, but the, the the issue dress versus the trade dress are identical. And then in the second volume, it's the same thing, only it's like orange sunlight daybreak uh, background with uh, with yellowish uh, Bitterroot logo. I love that the issues are given a trade dress by volume. I think that's pretty neat. Nice. Easy to so. collate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what y'all think? Oh, I, we've said it going in. I thought it was great. Um, Any I th- questions, concerns besides the? No, nah, nah, no concerns. I, I'm concerned that uh, I hope it goes on for a long, long time. But uh, no, captivated, um, entertained, um, educated. Uh, it made me feel shit. And I think that was the reasons for which it was designed to make you actually uh, connect and, and, and plug in to... Uh, humanity i thought it was is was wonderful um i i i just keep going back to enoch <laughs> i love that there's mm-hmm. a character in here but you know the whole deal about the book of enoch as far as uh christianity goes the book of enoch was stripped from the the uh christian bible because his book lays it all out that uh, in in if you believe Giorgio Sulacos that the Earth was visited by the Nephilim and they influenced our development and it's the whole ancient astronaut thing that I mean it's it's it that ties into my sensibilities but it doesn't have a whole lot to do with the story other than the little I mean there's an alien vibe to those little creatures but mm-hmm. the fact that they're tied to Enoch was like yeah okay I don't know if you intended it but that's what it speaks to me. When you say Enoch, I, I immediately go to Book of Enoch and the whole tinfoil hat wearing dudes, uh, which, you know, they're my brothers and sisters. I got to love them. So, yeah. 
but no, I thought it was wonderful. And but the you know the 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 heavy hitter for here for me, the story is is deep and 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 layered and wonderful. But Sanford, man, Jesus, uh, he's just incredible. I don't want to discount right. the involvement of anybody else. It's a team effort, but it's a visual damn medium, right? And when you got a a monolith like Sanford putting down the lines, man, it's just sweet. I loved it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And for those that um, maybe don't remember, this was uh, Bitterroot was optioned by Legendary Pictures. Uh, Ava DuVernay is the producer, but it's going to at least, well, listen, all these things, I guess, aren't official until they happen. But the plan is for uh, Ryan Coogler to direct it, a film adaptation of it. Um, I assume most people know who Ryan Coogler is, but he's probably, (laughs) for most of you, Best known as the director of Black Panther, um, and and also the director of the yet re- unreleased but soon to be Black Panther two. But he also did Fruitvale Station among other things. Uh, Creed, fan of his. yeah, Decreed. So Black um, Panther two shot yet, or is it? I don't know. I think it might be. I'm not, but I can't. I that's talking out my ass. I don't know for sure. Who's the villain? I don't know. Oh. I don't know if that's a. Is, I have no idea if that's. I try not to pay attention to like the spoilers and that stuff. Like yeah. I don't. Same. I'd rather just be, I mean, as much as I can be surprised by that stuff. Oh, I, okay. All right. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, we've already gotten a lot of the core Black Panther characters. So, like, in, in I don't know if, like, I don't know if they have an obvious villain. That, you think they have an obvious villain? I don't know. Well, they did. It's not supposed to be released until 2022. I think I got pushed back a year from... Yeah, so, it was originally twenty twenty one. I mean, I know there was rumors that that Doom was the villain, but I don't. I mean, but I I don't know that that's ever been confirmed. Well, I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, to put Panther on an even keel with. One well, of it would make shore. sense. It would make sense if there is going to be a second long underlying arc, like there was with the first. Oh, the phase. Well, we already. Yeah, cause, I mean, we need we we need a um, uh, phase four. It's got to start. So that's what I mean. Like if if there's going to be if there's going to be a Thanos again for another 10, 15 movies, Doom would certainly be a worthy choice. You know who would be another very uh, conceptually rich choice? Hmm? Namor. Both monarchs. As the villain. Yes. Yes. As the villain. Both monarchs, both um, well aware of the, the, the pains of wearing the crown. But one right. has one has a a totally different approach to uh, getting his due than than the other, and I think it would be neat where they would butt heads and maybe at the end uh, come like to team get, up against Doom. Yeah, uh, yeah. FF. Hey, I don't mm-hmm. write I don't write these things, but I think it would be neat to see Namor and and Black Panther go at it. Sure, it wouldn't be boring. That's for damn sure. No, I hope. I mean, I I, I hope they don't. Um, hope they don't use Mbaku as a villain. Um, I think he's just. I mean, he's. I love Winston Duke. I think Mbaku's a great character. He was in the first movie. Um, he hard to now, I, right? They've already kind of. Yeah, I mean, they're more. Him. He's, he's an ally. I think. Terms, yeah. I think he should be a uh, a, a peer more than anything else. Um, oh, it, it could also almost be a super villain team up. Do, have have Doom and Namor. Doom and Namor. Yeah, and then at really? the end, yes. have Panther and Namor going after Doom. What? 
Where's well, my credit? I think if, if, if Doom is involved, it's going to be because they very much are planning, and I think they are, of integrating the FF and, and others of the characters they got back into the next phase. Right. You, I mean, I think we both all agree that you're, you can't have Doom in a Black Panther movie like as a one-off. Yeah. Yeah, he can't be the villain, because most villains die in, in these movies, so you well, can't yeah. have... Yeah, so he, yeah, well, he, he wouldn't be, be a one-off. He would be a constant presence because he'd be working with Namor. No, that's what I'm saying. Though. I'm saying so. Like normally with these films, right? There's a there's a bad that's like the uh, the current bad that you that gets defeated by the end of the film, and then there's the behind the scenes baddie, which in the prior arcs was Thanos. Yeah, and then ultimately it culminated with Thanos and his crew being the the vanquished. I'm saying like you can't have Doom just be black panther 2 villain and then have him be defeated that that doesn't work well if you follow the template no but the the joy of of art and creation is you don't always have to follow the template oh well you know, okay but this is marvel they have a I mean, right right when you're when you're pumping out a billion dollars of film you have a template you're gonna keep following. well it could give doom a reason to say fuck this i'm gonna take you all out then and then become oh the again big- i'm not saying like doom again if if, if doom is the villain and he's quote unquote defeated. I'm just saying, like he wouldn't be defeated forever. Like he might get like defeated momentarily, and then he comes back with a vengeance. Like he's like, all right, well, yeah, gonna, well, yeah, I'm, that's what I was I'm going gonna learn for. magic too, and then I'm going to whoop your ass. Yeah. Uh, brief aside, um, unforgivable sin, Mr. Neil Adams, for that thing that's on the cover of <laughs> Antithesis Number One. That they sure named that book right because that is the antithesis of the thing. That's a big, By the way, craggy, monkey ass thing. I remember that that book was called Antithesis, since I've said the word antithesis about a thousand times on the show. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah. Uh, decent read. Okay, Sue. That thing is an unpardonable crime. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I like Neil Adams, so. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Whatever. So, um, yeah, let's, we'll wrap up the book of the month. Um, I give it uh, massive, massive props. I thought it was wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I, great credit to the entire creative team. You done pulled off something I, that yeah. was really enriching. It, it's nice that, I mean, Sanford is, is, is a, you know, 100% legit good dude. I, we've, we've oh, sure. spoken with him bunch of times and and you know it's nice when uh, i smile i feel good reading something like bitterroot because i know the people involved in it um are all above the board good dudes and and uh and i haven't you know i've I've, we've i don't know if i shook his hand i don't know if i shook david walker's hand at at new york but i mean we were close and and you know i've enjoyed whether it's whether it's shaft or or paramount iron fist or Naomi, you know, anything he's written, I've enjoyed. And you know, Chuck Brown, as far as I'm concerned, came out swinging with this. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really happy that the uh, that the people involved are making a really, really enjoyable read. Yeah. I, I, and, and the I enthusiasm Sanford had when he wanted to talk about this to us but couldn't. And he was like, I got something brewing and we're working on it now. And I think you're going to like it. And you could just tell that he was, he was entirely immersed in it. And he was just like, you, I think you're going to, and he, you could, you could feel the enthusiasm radiating from him, but he couldn't be specific and saying, Hey, this is what it's about. Listen, but he, yeah, I just remember that time. Was it New York? The last New York we went to? 
maybe that he was he was going all in on it that he's you you got to see this and then that was it. Well, the last New York was after the uh, the Ryan Coogler news that broke. Yeah. So he was getting bigged up all weekend long for the for the fact that they're about to get paid. Because yes, and at that table, that's when um, that's uh, the 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 English actor who played um, uh, oh he was he was the bad in in um, the season before last for for Supergirl, but um, um, Manchester Black. And, yeah, and yeah, he was standing yeah. next to him, and, and and I was happy to see him. I told him I loved him on Supergirl, and I'm really looking forward to uh, him on the Discovery season three. That's right, I remember that day. Yeah, it wasn't Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> <laughs> I love it oh, when I... when I give Jason the who. <laughs> but that would involve that. That would mean he'd have to read a Superman book from the nineties. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was going to say I don't think that happened. <laughs> Manchester Black isn't black in the comic. No. Oh, oh, okay. And it looked like Pierce Brosnan. No, he kind of looks like uh, uh, oh. the doctor before David Tennant. What's his yeah, name? Yeah, uh, Chris well, Chris Perkins. Chris Eckelson. Yeah, kind of looks like oh, that. Okay. GI Joe. Yeah. yeah. And I got it. I don't know how. I don't know how. But I'm I totally <laughs> sucked into the toys now. Total props, dude. Yeah, Destro from GNG. <laughs> How did this happen? What do you mean? Wait, You're a connoisseur. You they're nice figures. I know, but you, like you were saying, they're like 20 bucks a piece. Oh, my dude. Come on. Right. No, but I mean, like, where am I even going to put them? I just haven't, like, I don't even know where to put them, but I'm like. Question. Do you unbox or do you leave them boxed? Oh, I normally unbox. Nice, my man. Now we're talking. Excellent. You know, I, I got. I need to reconfigure my comic room. I, I think I need to try and get rid of one of the rows of the of the drawer boxes, and then get like another IKEA shelf to maybe put some of these toys on. I don't know which toys. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't hear the uh, the line. Well, I just been buying toys at the Wazoo, dude. Oh, just toys in general. Okay, okay. Like, all the classifieds. bunch of bunch of Transformers. By the way, speaking of Transformers, shout out to Rod Hedrick. The guy has the biggest heart in the world. In the world. He heard me mention on the episode, I don't know what, two, three episodes ago, about how I love Shockwave and I can't find a good Shockwave figure. And he apparently was going to send me a Shockwave figure like a year or two ago, but thought of sending me something else. But then he still had the figure. So my wife is like, you got a box from Mary Kay Cosmetics. <laughs> <laughs> and Rod boxed that. Now why Rod has a Mary Kay? I, I don't know. But he put. How else does he stay pretty? Yeah, right. He is uh, with that hair. He probably needs hair care. But, um, yeah, he he sent me this shockwave figure. Just, nice. Like, just He's a beautiful man. He is a beautiful man. I love Scorponok. Um So what we can do now is uh, maybe traipse in yeah, a little bit of segue. It's it's a clunky, cumbersome yeah. segue, ham-fisted yes. at best. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may not have time to have read anything major. Because we just did this a couple of days ago, and now we're doing it again, and wanted to focus on the book of the month. But I had um, a little bit of time, and I was in the mood for something silly. Oh, oh. I needed I needed silly after yeah, silly. the ev- yeah. the events of the day. And uh, where do you go to get really good silly? Um, I usually go to The Simpsons. Whoa! Okay, oh, did not see that happen coming. Well, I have <laughs> – I must have at least 200-plus issues of The Simpsons. 
And whenever I need a chuckle, uh, it's comfort food, right, for me. What are they up to? They're they're not. <laughs> the they're done. That's right. No, they are done. What do they end with? Barbie, uh, do you have a complete set or close to it? Cl- oh, you must have close no, to it. I've been giving them away here and there. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, but they they at least I know for a fact they made it to two hundred. There was a, a, a transition period when they went from two ninety nine to three ninety nine, and Bongo upscaled the paper stock, the cover stock. Um, it was a whiter, more resilient paper than what they had traditionally used. Each issue had a weight to it. Once they transitioned, uh, and SpongeBob also went up to three ninety nine. It didn't last too much longer than that. Maybe a year or two after they made the jump. So I'm thinking the two hundredth issue is of the uh, the the new format. Simpsons. So maybe they made it to 225. I can Google it, but it wasn't long, much longer than than issue 200. It, it pretty much Bongo pretty much dissolved after that. But um, this is uh, did Jason leave us? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. Did he yeah. say something? I got a little bloop that there was a message. No, he's still here. Maybe he's peeing or something. I'll check him. He's got to pee. Yeah. So even the genius has to pee. But um, so this is not an issue of Simpsons proper. It's a Simpsons super spectacular uh, uh, number 11. And the deal with the super spectaculars were they were uh, uh, either a biannual or an annual thing where they would just uh, go wild and uh, approach different subjects, usually superheroes. More often than not, it was it was a superhero story. And, And this one. Is uh, features the pie men of the world, and there's an evil group that uh, in antiquity created a pie made out of stone. See, they're called the stone cutters, and they made a pie and hid the pieces because the pie wasn't mature when they made it. It needed time to 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 develop and 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 ferment and become this powerful artifact. When grouped together, all the slices of the pie, when they retrieved them all and grouped them together, would make this massively powerful artifact. So the stonecutters have been been searching for all the pieces of the pie, and there's a mystical um, le- uh, organization of crime fighters called the Pie Men, and they're multinational. The 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 Pie Man from Australia is Colonel Custard, and his trusty kid sidekick. Uh, Kid Crumpet. There's a Mademoiselle Meringue and her sidekick's called the Tart. <laughs> you got Cap- Captain Kidney Pie and Vegemite. <laughs> and Vegemite. The, the uh, South American uh, pie man is Senor Frittata and Flan the Muchacho Marveloso. And it's just amazing. Well, of course, Homer is a pie man going into this. Homer and Bart. Bart's his kid sidekick. Homer's pie man. And he has a pie tin over his face with the eyes and the mouth cut out. And Bart is essentially Bart man, right? And they, they go on the trail. Uh, the, the, uh, the pie men have a, a conveyance called the pie fighter. <laughs> and it's shaped like a piece of pie. Yes, shaped like a piece of pie. Uh, and the uh, the stonecutters have sequestered themselves on Pie Island, which is, of course, shaped like a pie. 
And it's up to the the pie men and, and, and Homer and Bart to save the day. And, of course, they go undercover wearing robes uh, to infiltrate the, the stonecutters because all the stonecutters wear brown robes. And uh, Mademoiselle uh, Meringue says, I hope this stratagem works, pie man. And Homer says, if it doesn't, it means everything I've ever learned about McBain is a lie. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? But uh, the visuals... Um, Mike W. Barr did the script. John Delaney did the pencils. Guess who inked it? We are talking Bongo. It's this should be right on the tip of your tongue. Who inked it? Andrew Peepoy. Of course he did. Yes. When he not working at, when he wasn't working at Archie during this period, he was working at Bongo, right? Um, and there's a backup story where um, Bart and Lisa are. Uh, pastiches of uh, the Human Torch and the Thing, and the villain they encounter first is M- the Mo Man, and it's Mo. Uh, he 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 got some three D glasses from a. Uh, <coughs> sorry, uh, he he got them from a skee ball game, so he looks like the Mole Man, but it's Mo. Like it's just total stupidity, right? Uh, Bart can stretch. Like Mr. Fantastic, and he keeps being pulled into these a pasta maker or a taffy puller. It's just dumb fun, and I I really needed it. Um, there's a superhero in here called uh, let me get his name Glue Stick, and I'll give you a hint who it is. He's not too bright. He eats glue, and that's how he. Uh, oh yeah, it's um. Uh, the the chief's in air quotes son. Yes. Ralphie Wiggums. Yes. <laughs> he eats glue. And so he's eaten so much glue from being in school that his body just exudes glue and gives him the <laughs> the opportunity to pull off all these these uh, semi-heroic uh, deals. But who uh, the, this guy's name always escapes me. The doctor that, that always says... Um, Hi everybody! That oh, Doctor Nick. Doctor Nick. Hi, Doctor Nick. Because when he, yeah, when he says that, they all say that. Yeah. Well, Doctor Nick, uh, Lisa has a superhero flu, and Doctor Nick is taking care of him. And Doctor Nick is in real life a superhero himself because he had the flu and he got over it. He's Doctor Strange, Doctor. And they got him all decked out in the Doctor Strange costume with the cloak and the. The Eye of Agamotto. It's nuts. And it's funny because during the entire issue, there's a legal man that keeps poking his head in there. Whenever a character will say something close (laughs) to something owned by Marvel, like Homer will say, with great power comes great. And the guy will peek his head in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, it was a great little issue. And it was the the little pick-me-up. Well, I mean, it didn't alleviate the pain of the week, but it sure... It it helped out a lot. So uh, Simpsons Super Spectacular number eleven. Uh, what year was this released? Let's see. Uh, two thousand and ten. Woof. Yeah. So it's an old one. Well, older. You know, not old. Old. It's not, not vintage. Old. Yeah. So it's it's been around a while. But I just get a kick out of the Simpsons comics. That is awesome. Um... You know what I I uh, I have something that um, might be 
silly and a little bit of a diversion. It's it's a short thing. Um, in page count and in size, the um, the third little golden book in the Star Trek series arrived, and oh, it is yeah. the Star Trek alphabet book. Um, so it's going to go right next to my other two Star Treks. I am Captain Kirk. I am Mr. Spock. But this one is weird uh, because, yeah, they go from A to Z, which is awesome. But, uh, and I'm not going to go through the entire alphabet for everybody, but uh, there's, there, these team, I was a little surprised when they picked, because it's like, you know, A is for aliens in all color, shapes, and sizes, but B is for Borg. So we're going to go, we're going to actually call out one particular race um, and not group them in with aliens. So they, they're just some, some letters are used for certain things that I would have expected them to be something else. And, and what's great about this book, um, which is, is illustrated by Ethan Beavers and, and is written by uh, Dennis R. Shealy, they go, it's all the way from the original series up to um, Voyager. So they, um, you know, whether you see Cisco next to Worf and a Cardassian, or you see Kirk escaping, G is for the Gorn, who enjoy a good fight. There's, they cover it all. And, and I appreciate that. Um, but you have L is for live long and prosper as Vulcans like Mr. Spock often say, but what works here is because it's a double page spread because M is for mirror universe where everyone is bad ellipses, even Mr. Spock. And, and so it's a mirror image of Spock, which is, which is great. So well I appreciate. Played. Yeah. Well, played. right. I just, you know, it's weird for me to see L for live long and prosper. There wasn't anything else you could have used, but you do get, wow, you're um, finicky. I am. Because I'm thinking because, I wouldn't waste no, the B on I'm anything having, but the board. I'm having fun with it, but I'm just there's I, yeah. I guess I guess if anything there's there's um there might be I'm not gonna call it inconsistencies, but but you have K is for Kirk and J is for Janeway, but guess what P is for? Relieving your bladder? I don't know. <laughs> P is not for Picard. Oh, duh. Uh, is Ferengi PH? Is it Ferengi? No, Ferengi is F. P <laughs> is for phaser, an energy beam oh, that has nice. many... Oh, yes, yeah. Nice, yes, nice. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. natural stupid. It should have been Picard. I, like, I, like I wouldn't... Is, is T for yeah. Who? Uh, T, let's see. S is for Starfleet. T is for transporter. Mm. Which think... beams away team members wherever they need to go. But U is for Uhura, naturally. Um... I think a T for transporter fits. Like, if, if you know, as far as the magnitude of the thing you're portraying by right. the letter, I think transporter is more essential to the Star Trek universe than a Tribble. Uh, the V is for Vulcan, such as Spock, Paul, and Tuvok. So, you know, shout out to Enterprise. I think this might be the only Enterprise mentioned. But, um, but yeah, it's just, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it because you see um, – Y was smart because Y is for Yeoman, who assists the captain with running the ship. And Kirk has this look on his face as he's looking over at Rand, like, I'm going to get me a piece of that. And he's cutting Scotty off because Scotty looks like he wants to really tell him something important. But but Kirk's like, no, there's a, there's a female in my presence, so I need to you know make sure that that's where my attention is. But I think um, I really love the way Beavers draws the uh, 
the Star Trek universe. Uh, it, it is in that typical Golden Books fashion. Um, the, the colors are colors are great. The um, it was just it, it's I I was enjoying the book because as I'm turning the pages, I'm trying to guess what what each letter in the alphabet might stand for, might be for. And as I go through the book and some of them, I was just like, no, no, that shouldn't be. And it's, it's so that's, again, that's a nitpicky thing, you know, as you read it, if you read it and, and you know, you come across a letter and you're like, yeah, I wouldn't have expected that either. That, that, that's cool. But A to Z is, is definitely in here and it's great. I, I really did. Um, I really did enjoy it. Even if, even if I'm, I'm picking at some of the, some of the letters, but or some of their choices, but I, I, uh, I had a blast with it. It's, you know. I have an ongoing, uh, I guess you can call it a dig or a, a rivalry with the two wonderful women that teach children's book illustration at the college. And uh, when I first met them, I had to take their class. And they're like, okay, let's roll up our sleeves and get into the the art of children's book illustration. And I said, oh, you mean comics. <laughs> and they're like no 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 this is this is children's book illustration i said is the art sequential and they were like well yes and i said well then you're teaching comics and you know i i we we butt heads oh no gabriel harvin's probably like someone just poked him with a his voodoo doll with a pen but i i said and i i've grown to love them over the years and we we joke with each other and they still will not accept the fact that they teach comics when in fact they do teach comics so but yeah just a little aside fun you know we have fun they probably hate me but i don't really care <laughs> you're teaching comics come on embrace it spaghetti yeah jason anything Anything fun? Uh, yeah, no, no, for sure. Um, you guys may remember, I mean, I know you two do, but our listeners, um, I mentioned a dude named Eric Klaus um, a while back, just came across him. I think Justin introduced me to his art on Instagram. Um, he uh, He's a guy that, um, he's a North Carolina dude. I don't know if he's from North Carolina, but he's like part of that whole, like he's always at there, like at the convention scene and stuff. And um, he, uh, I'm just trying to find the issue. Sorry, because I don't know what we're going to talk about that one second. I want to, I want to give a short shrift, but hold up, hold up, hold up. Here we go. Um, yeah. So, but he's yeah, he's always at like the Raleigh Con that they go to, and uh, he's at Heroes and stuff. And uh, so I, I talked to him a bit on online and got a couple awesome commissions from him, but never met him in person or anything. Um, but he has been working for a long time on his uh, his own book uh, to put out. And the book is called Ninjas and Robots. And he was finally ready to put it out into the ether. Before the pandemic hit, it was solicited in previews. I, I shouted it out in our previews video that month, whatever month it was. It was pretty early in the year. Um, and then because of the pandemic, because it was, I don't know if it's self-published or just from a, a, the publisher's name is Keen Spot. And again, I don't know if that's his, just a, a moniker he has, or if it's a, it's a small publisher I wasn't previously familiar with. But needless to say, with the pandemic and Diamond shutting down, um, it was delayed pretty grossly, uh, but it did finally get back on the schedule, and the first issue is out. I'm holding it in my hands, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I um, it, it's it's written and drawn by uh, Eric. With uh, the only thing he doesn't do is the colors, which is by a, a woman named Katie Amaker. Um, and again, it's ninjas and robots, and uh, it's exactly what you think it is. It's a story about ninjas and robots, 
Uh, we're introduced to a uh, a female protagonist named Yuki, and uh, she's got some serious memory loss, uh, and she has a crow, like a sentient crow who's trying to uh, get her her mind right. And then there's a um, a badass looking uh, female android who has uh, uh, like an all black costume with kind of uh, kind of like the flag of Japan face paint. Um, and she's her ally as well, but, but our, our, but Yuki doesn't remember who she is, what this is all about, so forth, so on. And, uh, and basically the first issue is her trying to figure that out as well as fighting a ton of badass robotic ninjas, uh, also meeting up with, uh, with, uh, the antagonist, uh, as well as her, I, I'm guessing it's her lover. Um, although they fight for a while cause she doesn't remember him, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And the thing I really was drawn to, and the reason I wanted to support it is because, Number one, it's an independent comic, which is awesome. But number two, uh, I really like, as I mentioned, I, I, I got a few commissions from Eric. He's got this awesome style. Uh, it's very graffiti-centric. Uh, he, he fully admits that he's a, a mafood. Uh, shout out to Food One, Acolyte. Um, so visually speaking, uh, it's certainly evocative of, of Jim. It's actually a little less abstract than Jim, um, which is probably not for – like like Jim is his own – I mean, Jim has kind of got a little pocket to me of as a creator. I mean, he's 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 so very much embedded into graphic art and graffiti in his in his work that it's very, very abstract, as you know, um, almost in many cases like like Sienkiewicz abstract. This is a little more straightforward in that there 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 isn't there aren't panels where you don't clearly know what's happening. But uh, but just visually in terms of the line work and the 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 very loose take on anatomy and uh, and, and very much in terms of the backgrounds uh being much more pop arty and aesthetic and and and, and gritty, um, it just it, it reminded me a lot of of, of my food. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think you can get it everywhere. Like I think most comics, I hope most comic stores are carrying it. Um, but just in case, it's uh, published by Keen Spot K E E N S P O T, uh, and again, it's called Ninjas and Robots. Um, and I think it's a five issue series, I believe. Um, but as I said, because of the COVID and stuff, we've got one issue so far. I'm going to investigate. Listen, scantily, scantily clad, purple-haired woman who yields a sword and fights robotic ninjas. I mean, can you go wrong? I'm, i got to hit the PayPal button right now. Bing, Boom. bing, 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 bing. So many times I'm going to get more than one copy. All right, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us once again. We hope we have entertained uh, maybe educated you a little bit uh, consider that a bonus uh, please if you want more of all this kind of stuff come to the Facebook, Reddit, Instagram and Twitter presences that we hold and uh, maybe check out our Patreon page at the same time well concurrently patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics because we love you so much and we want you to join us join us in the meantime Say goodnight. The troops are rampaging in the kitchen upstairs. Can you can you hear them? Mm-hmm. It's like they got cinder block shoes on. David. Good night. Nobody's walking upstairs. Renee yelled at your dog earlier though. She was pissed. She almost threw you off. You had like you did. Thank He's like you to get control again. You're teeter tottering. It, it may not have been. It may not have been Onyx. It may have. Um, 
Tiger, uh, Tiger, fuck, Rocket may have, um, <laughs> may have bitter. He's he's a little. He Wait, can be a little poison. Rocket will, um, yeah. The, well, it, Rocket won't bite me. He'll he'll take treat. Like I can feed him. Um, I can hold the the temptations out with my fingers, and he'll take it right from me. Um, but he tends to not hang around me too much. But if um, totally if he's in bed, bed, you totally shit the bed on this one. No, I said it already. Oh, you did. What, yeah. you just sneak it in between words? Snuck it in. That's in. not fair. Not a robot. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so, there, but but if um, but he'll he'll either like leave leave a claw out with his paw. So as soon as he's the only cat I know who who acts this way. But if um, so if she doesn't keep her leg still, he'll like use a, a claw to like let her know to bring it back. He's a strong cat. And then, um, but yeah, he, there are times where he'll just, she'll pet him and, and he'll, he'll put her, his, her finger in his mouth and, and just bite her for like no fucking reason. He's, he's a weird fucking cat. But, um, I mean, she could have been yelling at Onyx. It wouldn't surprise me, but I have a feeling because of the time and where they are, it was probably rocket biting her. Damn. There you go. Hard I'm a, I'm a get a cat soon. I already have the name picked up. Yeah. Yep. What's the name? The cat better be gray, because I'm gonna name it Rom. Space cat. (laughs) That's cool. The only bad thing, Nina's allergic. Cat may fucks with your dogs. You got little dogs. That cat might might have its way with them dogs. Nah, not if I get a kitten. It won't. Raise them right. Uh, Integrate. They'll fuck a dog up. Well, of course. And I never saw a fight between a cat and a dog that the, the 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 cat lost. So yes, there there is that danger, but that I'm surprises just me. My Why? surprises me. Whoop my dog's asses, man! They would not be. They would. They were not to be trifled with. Well, they're cats. They're the superior race. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Uh, I'm surprised you wouldn't call it Dexter, Vince. I really does. No, no, because then I have to be cleaning up vomit and blood and stuff. No. Well, it might it might tell you then that's what its name is. If, if, the, if the cat acts a certain way. You might oh right, off. right. I, I was just I was being semi facetious, but I always wanted to name a pet some kind of way because you'd be like, oh, I'm feeling some kind of way. <laughs> so see, that's why you gotta you gotta call your dog five miles because you can say you walked five miles today. <laughs> oh, boy, <laughs> we have entered the realm of the vaudeville. Thank you very much, everybody. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime guy. Hey, I'll turn it to Edward G. Robinson at the end of the day. All right, everybody. We hope you've loved this and come back for for more love next time because we'll be here waiting. Oh, show. Yep. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am.